December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 73, and I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. How's it going, dude? Dude, I've got Kool-Aid pink lemonade, like an entire freaking pitcher of it, and some water, and the air conditioning's on, because let me tell you, folks, it was like 100 degrees at 10 o'clock in the morning today, and... Even though I'm losing some weight, which I'm kind of happy about, not as much as I want, but it's a slow process. Um, but I'm still kind of a chunky monkey, and uh, you can laugh, it's okay, it was meant to be fun. Um, when it gets humid, see, heat I can take, you know, like no, dry I heat I can take, but when you add like the oppressive humidity of Georgia, uh, I had to bring groceries in. It's 9.30 at night. You know when it's supposed to be kind of nice out? And I'm freaking dripping when I'm coming inside. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pounding down the liquids so that I can... Man, I should have some vodka in this pink lemonade. It's funny you say that about uh, 100 degrees at 10 o'clock because that's exactly the time I stepped outside this morning. Because my, my garbage man... I think he, he likes to screw with us. He comes on Mondays, and he always comes at a different time, but not usually before 10 o'clock. But the, it's, the time always varies, so you pretty much have to get the trash out by 10, or you're, you run a serious risk that you're going to miss the dude. So I headed out the front door exactly at 10 o'clock and was like, wow, that's funny. I didn't hear anything on the news about the earth falling into the sun. It was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ is hot out here. I mean, it was wicked. I was dying. And I mean, all I had to do was like walk to the end of the driveway and, and drag the cans down. And by the time I got back, it was like 
I was soaked to the skin. I was like, man, this is ridiculous. Like any fucking moment, I'm going to wake up and it's going to be turning that the, the earth is hurling away from the sun. And I'll be <laughs> a much happier individual. Five cool points to anybody that gets that reference. Because <laughs> that's... That might be obscure, but to some people that might be, hey, I know exactly where that's from. So, But we are here for some good All-Star Squadron goodness, which made me repeat myself. So, God damn it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, we, I mean, we had a lot of fun last week, and after reading these issues, it's like, Jesus, this is why I read comics. So... <laughs> You know, you said it last week. God damn, this is this this is a superhero comic, and that feeling didn't evaporate over these two issues. No, so. no, it did not. No, this this is my idea of of good old fashioned superhero comic books, and they just don't make them like this no more. But yeah, really hot, and uh, damn it, it's it's like two and a half more months of this shit too. <laughs> Hey, I'm not complaining. I mean, I moved a thousand miles to get warmer. You know what I mean? I was sick to death of of having to shovel the weather all the time and freezing my, you know, my butt off. But uh, it's one extreme to the other. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> Some days I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. That is where we kind of, kind of differ because I'll take shoveling, shoveling snow over this any day of the week. I'm, I'm not fucking kidding either. <laughs> Nope, I had my fill of snow. I really did. <laughs> I had all the snow I could ever, I could ever stand. Uh, but do you get a little twinkle in your eye when it starts snowing down here? I, you know, I, it's been long enough now that when we had the the little bit of snow we got this last winter, yeah, I enjoyed it. I really did. But but see, that's my idea of it. It comes in, it lasts a day or two, and then it's freaking gone. You know, it's it doesn't stick around for nine friggin' months. You know, that right? That's what I hated about living in New York. I mean, because by the time you thaw out, you got a good two weeks, and then it's going to start snowing again for like another. You know, it's ridiculous. It really is. So then you move to the extreme of, well, okay, it's it's sunny in the morning, and then the rain comes in. And uh, it's sunny and humid in the morning, excuse me. And then the rain comes in, but it lasts like 30 seconds. And then it's more humid. And then it storms. And then it's even more humid. And it never breaks. And you just want to, like, punch somebody in the face while you're walking down the street. It, it doesn't really bother me, though, because for the most part, I'm a, I'm a homebody. You know, I really don't get out and do things. All, I'm not. I'm just not much for outside stuff. So it's nice to actually have beautiful days to squander. And that's the, that's the biggest difference between, you know, where I lived in New York and where I live here in Georgia is that in New York, if it's a nice day, you better get your ass outside because there's not too many of them. <laughs> you know, it's like that story. I think it's a Bradbury story about the little kid living on, what is it, like Venus or something. And there's a break in the rain cycle like every nine years or something. And on the day that he's supposed to go out, the, the, the bullies lock him in a closet and he misses it. That's how I felt living in New York. If you missed a nice day, you were screwed because you're not going to get another one for months Did on it. Did they make a short film of that? I think so, yeah. Because HBO ran something that was like an English movie where it was raining all the time and the kids had to like stand in front of sun lamps to get any kind of vitamin D and then they were outside and it stopped raining and they all started playing. 
that, yeah, I think that is the movie of it. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's one mystery solved. Now I have to try to expunge the memories of fucking Dot and the Kangaroo that I had watched a thousand times on HBO <laughs> when I was a kid. Speaking of which, you, me, and Chris really need to do that HBO episode of Two True Freaks at some point. Oh, I would love to do Yeah, that's Yeah, I've got some good HBO memories. Well, good and bad and strange HBO memories. But Real sex, awesome! <laughs> hey, when you're 15 and that shit comes on, that was like Christmas. Oh, yes. <laughs> You would watch some of the shittiest movies ever made. <laughs> just like to see Looker, a little breast. You know, just, just, yeah, just to see boob. Yeah, exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, You'd sit yeah. through just atrocious pieces of shit movies. <laughs> just because you knew that there was, you know, like a half second of a side boob shot. You'd be like, oh, awesome. <laughs> Now I have to watch HBO for another six hours before I see that again. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Are these we here kids to talk about the All Star Squad. <laughs> these kids today with the internet. Yeah, the internet and, and the internet. internet. Your fingertips, yeah. And, and Google search with the uh, with the filters turned off. If I had to, back then, what the kids today have with the internet and all. I'd have arms like Lou Ferrigno. I'd be blind as a freaking bat, and I'd have ha- hands and palms hairier than a freaking gorilla. And I, you know, I just I don't make any bones about that. That would be a fact. I'd be the freakiest looking dude you ever saw. You know, I, I hate to tangent this even further, but yeah, it's like for me, it was like you know the Victoria's Secret catalog came in the mail, and that was like what I had to kind of live with. <laughs> And, and and now you know, live with that's a very diplomatic way of putting that <laughs> Mike why is this sticky um, oh. these pages are stuck together <laughs> and now I and Rachel and I had a discussion because you know we're trying to have kids and I'm like yeah especially if we have a boy there's going to be like the computer in one room where he can't be alone with it at all Unless we're just not in the house. Because, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know how that shit works. So. <laughs> oh, my God. What are we talking about today? All-Star Squadron. And you had something to say before we got into oh, the second yes. issue. Yes, I have a correction. A correction slash apology. Um, I, I'm surprised I have not heard from this individual yet going, Oh, my God, you absolutely horribly butchered my name. I apologize. Um, I just did not have any idea the correct the per, yeah I cannot talk the correct pronunciation. But now I know it is not Jan Roman. It is not Yan Roman or Jan Roman. It is John Roman. John Roman Picula is the one that sent us that awesome Batman versus Jesus Christ faux cover, and I absolutely love it. And I wanted to give the uh, the correct. Um, kudos on that so thanks again for sending us that john i I don't know if it's properly john or john roman so i'm going to say john roman but thank you very much for sending that i love it it is still my wallpaper and it is totally awesome and i i sincerely apologize for destroying your name last episode well let's get into the second issue of all-star squadron had a cover date 
of October 1981, release date of July 23rd, 1981, give or take. It has a Joe Kubert cover, which I'll get to in my notes. Yeah. Anyways, (laughs) another area where Scott and I agree. Mm. Uh, This story title is The Tyrant Out of Time. Written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Rich Buckler, inked by and embellished, excuse me, by Jerry Ordway, colored by Carl Gafford, letterer John Costanza, and edited by the legendary Len Wein. We open with the newly formed All-Star Squadron rushing out of the White House, headed for their first mission, stopping at first to... Well, initially I said to talk to a few members of the press, but really one of them doubts that they're like the JSA or superheroes at all, and and Plastic Man completely fucks with one of them. And it's kind of funny. And only then does he like, yeah, you guys are for real. I don't know, that made me laugh when I read it. And after they leave, the reporters break into the Star Spangled Banner. Next, they stop to capture... A gang of thugs. You know, talk about picking the wrong goddamn day to rob a bank. (laughs) You know, I'm serious. I mean, these guys are ready to kick some ass anyways, you know? They're primed for a fight, especially the Atom, who's always ready to beat someone's ass. And they're mad because America just got attacked. They know the war's coming. And these dumb freaking thugs decide, okay, we're going to knock over an armored car. And they spend three or four pages just beating the piss out of these people. (laughs) Oh, my God, is this awesome. But they'd probably spent like weeks planning this job, and you know, just because it was Pearl Harbor Day, you know, they they, 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 you know, they had to stick to the schedule, you know. Soon after that, the group is riding in an unarmed bomber with Hawkman in the pilot seat, and Libby Libby uh, Liberty Bell almost gave away her secret identity, but she does it in three seconds, anyways. Liberty Bell in the co-pilot seat. With time on their hands, the heroes reveal their secret identities and origins to each other. Their stories and concern over the fates of missing member of the Justice Society is interrupted by air chatter describing enemy aircraft approaching San Francisco. Meanwhile, Degaton's craft surfaces and takes in some fresh air before returning to his prisoners, the Shining Knight and Danette Riley. Sir Justin demands to know why Degaton is attacking the coast, and Degaton decides in good supervillain fashion to tell his tale, though he warns that even with his own time travel experiences, Sir Justin may think he's full of shit. He relates to his captives a tale of the Justice Society and their battle with Axis spies who were attempting to abduct a gathering of America's most brilliant scientists who were developing, I shit you not, a bomb defense formula. Not a shield, not a force field, either a mathematical or liquid formula that would prevent bombs. Don't think too hard about it, because I did, and I ended up with a migraine. Anyway, such a... <laughs> that, that comes up in my notes, actually. Yeah. <laughs> such a formula existed in the future, and since the scientists were too frail... 
i.e. skinny and undernourished, the JSA travel to the future to secure it for them. Despite a successful first test of the formula, Degaton, who had been acting as an assistant to one of the scientists, sabotaged the effort, or, as William Shatner would say, sabotaged the effort in a jealous (laughs) rage, and after a second failure, the formula was discarded. Degaton had stayed on as an assistant to Professor Z, spelled Z-E-E. And in 1947, the scientist continued with his experiments in time travel. Degaton shot Z and attempted to use the device to conquer the world, but was defeated by the Justice Society. Fortunately, everybody, including Degaton, forgot about the incident after the timeline had been corrected. After a time, Degaton realized that the bizarre dreams about conquering the world he had been having were real. This time, Degaton killed Z and used his machine to travel further into the future, where he realized that with all of the technological advances uh, that were there, a man would be a fool to try and take over the world after the end of World War II. Degaton came up with a number of scenarios, but each time he saw the flaws they had and decided against them. Finally, the time storm, whatever that is, that had clouded the era between September 1939 and December 6, 1941, passed, and Degaton realized that he could change history by tricking the Americans into concentrating on Japan instead of Germany, and leaving the Americans and the Japanese fighting in one stalemate, and Russia and England fighting Germany, Germany, German and Italy, <laughs> German Italy. That's the name of the new country. Germany and Italy fighting another. To keep the Justice Society busy, Degaton gathered some of the JSA's future enemies to defeat them. After Degaton finishes his story, Danette accidentally brushes up against Sir Justin. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Because that that sounded dirty. After Degaton finishes his story, Danette accidentally (laughs) brushes up against Sir Justin's sword. Okay, that really sounds dirty, but that's what happened. Oh, yeah, now you're talking. (laughs) Which frees her from Wotan's mystical shackles and got her off. She quickly does the same to Sir Justin, who reclaims his sword. I'm suddenly five years old, just in time to take on Solomon Grundy. See, folks, we told you the funny would be brought. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sky Pirate leads the squadron of hypnotized Japanese pilots in an attack on San Francisco. Can on I stop gr- you right there for just a moment? Sure. I just want to ask, can this guy just, can he just have the name Sky Pirate? Does he literally have to be a friggin' a- pirate? I mean... Ah, that part <laughs> drove me crazy. All right, yeah, the the name is cool. You know, the the idea is cool that he's a, he's a, a sky faring pirate. But then when he starts in with the yeet me hearties and all, and I was like, oh Jesus! But, so you're okay with that? But Professor Alchemy with his fucking uh, like kitty blanket cape is is just bad for you. Is that what you're saying? No, he's he's cool because he he's a he's one of these losers that like popped up <laughs> once and was like never seen again. So, but Roy I, Thomas remembered him, so here yeah. you go. You gotta hand it to Thomas for for pulling these guys out of nowhere. You know, I mean, because we we end up seeing a lot of characters like that. They're like, you know, what, what was there? There was one. Wasn't his name Doctor Doom? If I remember right. Yes, I think there was. That like nobody remembered, but Roy Thomas actually pulls that guy up on the ground sandra knight changes into her scantily clad identity of phantom lady 
mm-hmm. while Hawkman, Robot Man, Johnny Quick, and the others watch. I mean, while Hawkman, Robot Man, and Johnny Quick take care of the pilots in the air. From the subsea carrier, Degaton watches Hawkman defeat his pilots and is incensed at the interference. Realizing that they will soon seek him out, Degaton realizes that was poor writing on my part that he has to enact desperate me- measures and presses the button that marked volcanic isle detonator and boy do i have a note on that <laughs> i really do yeah this button must be faulty because he pushes it again next issue <laughs> Exactly. Maybe it's a two-step process or something. <laughs> okay, I gotta push this button, and then next issue I gotta push that button. Now the island will blow up. I'll just go through the historical footnotes really quick before we get into our, our personal ones. At the beginning of this issue, as we mentioned, the reporters posted outside of the White House break into the Star Spangled Banner after the. I almost said the ASS leave, but you, we really can't abbreviate that, as Superman will soon say. <laughs> Uh, as this all-star squadron leaves. This was actually based on fact. The aircraft... Oh, that's cool. That's, yeah, that's that, neat. Yeah, that, that's a... You see, and I love those little nuggets getting thrown in here, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, and, and truly and really with with how most of America... I mean, there were Americans against getting into the war, in, into World War II. I mean, that's that's just fact. There were isolationists that just wanted us to keep the fuck out of it. But because the era was a little more, I guess the term is patriotic friendly, it would make sense, and I'm sure this happened on 9-11 as well, where people just broke into the Star Spangled Banner because it made them feel better. So it was neat to see that in here. The aircraft the All-Stars were flying is a B-29 bomber. As a reader named Andy Glass pointed out in a letter printed in All-Star Squadron number 6, that particular aircraft didn't go into service until 1944. Uh, Roy Thomas responded that the mistake was noticed, but there wasn't time to fix the error. The All-Stars revealed their origins to each other during the plane ride to San Francisco, though none of them had flowers in their hair. This, Sorry. Uh, that was a really bad That joke. was terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, uh, hang on a second. Needed new co-host. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I've had that add up on Craigslist for weeks. Oh, you <laughs> dick! <laughs> this was a rather neat little storytelling device, and Roy Thomas's ability to write the back of the trading card versions of who these characters were and how they came to be to me was rather impressive. As was that's a good analogy, by the way. Trading card for yeah, that that's very apt. Um, I can't take credit for the saying because I actually I've been using that ever since I read an introduction to one of the Dennis O'Neill uh, Neil Adams Green Arrow Green Lantern trades that came mm-hmm. out like 1994. That's what he Denny O'Neill wrote one of the introductions. He says, "Let me give you the back of the trading card version," and I've just been saying it ever since because it's it's like you said it's kind of a apt way to put such a thing. Yeah. Uh. And the art on those pages. This is more of a personal note, uh, I, I'm noticing, because, like I said, I haven't looked at these things for, like, three years. Uh, but the Buckler and Ordway art on those pages is fucking awesome. Um, Liberty Bell didn't wear her mask in her Golden Age appearances. She let 
This, this is what she did, folks. This is what she did to hide her identity. You thought Jay Garrick vibrating his face was stupid. She just let her hairstyle hide her face. Because Liberty Bell was supposed to look like Veronica Lake. Which brings up something I wanted to ask you, Scott. You've seen, have you seen L.A. Confidential? No. You've never seen L.A. Confidential? Nope. Okay. In that movie, Kim Bassinger plays a whore, for lack of a better term. Uh, that is supposed to look like Veronica Lake, and when I saw that movie, I'm like, she would make an awesome Liberty Bell. I could buy that. Um, Sandman number one, Starman one, Doctor Fate, Johnny Thunder, and Thunderbolt. I've really got to stop doing the number one. This was when I was in my Who's Who phase. Uh, and the Spectre will appear in flashbacks in this issue, much like they did in the last one. Ten will get you one that when we see them next issue, they'll be glowing and unconscious. And again, I've read the <laughs> issue, so I guess I'm cheating. Um... This issue had two text pieces to it, the first of which was a, a one-page fact file on Pear Degaton. His height is given as 5'4", so there you go. Another comic book character I could conceivably cosplay as. <laughs> um, despite the fact that he appeared taller in issue one. In All-Star Comics number 35, June-July 1947, Degaton was clearly modeled in part on Napoleon. And... I will try. Scott and I were kicking this around. I don't know if it's going to be up by this week because I've, I've got a busy week ahead of me. But what we're going to try to do is develop a secondary blog type thing uh, to have, like, our footnotes and, like, text pieces and some artwork and stuff just to jazz up the the episodes a little more. So when we get those together, we'll give you out the uh, URL uh, if that's something you guys would be interested in. And there was a second text page written by Roy Thomas, called The Secret Wartime History of the Justice Society of America. And really and truly, one of the great treats of this series was uh, were the text pieces written by Roy Thomas, because they were just like, I got lost in them. You know, they, they take a while to read, and they're just chock full of information. So why don't you head into your personal notes before I do mine, since I've been yakking for so long. Yes, good lord. No, yeah, um, yeah, excuse me. Yeah. yeah cool, I'll do that. Wait, 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 hold on a second. Wanted Hitman to kill co-host. Love Mike. Oh, you're harsh, man. P S X X O O X X. Okay, very good. A, a pink a pink slip would be just fine rather than a than a than a bullet to the back of the head. Um right off the bat Looking at the cover of this, I must have purchased this one in uh, in Syracuse, New York, when I was a kid, because this has the classic grease paint grease pencil taken to the original um, price on the cover and thirty cents written on the cover in grease <laughs> pencil, which is a sign of I can't remember what the name of the place was. Now it's probably long gone, but there was a uh, a really nice bookstore on the main strip there in Syracuse. I can't remember the name of that street either. And it was either in the back of the store or in the basement, I forget. They would get tons of comic books, tons and tons of comic books that were just a, a you know, just a few months, sometimes even just a few weeks out of date. And uh and they would take the old grease pencil to them and mark them half price or sometimes even like a third of the, of the original price. 
And I bought all kinds of comics there. And I can always tell when I pull one out of my collection because they still have the grease pens. There was no way of getting that off the cover. If you tried to yeah. erase it, you just smudge it everywhere on there. Mm-hmm. I would imagine so. What really sucks, too, is that uh, not only does it have the grease pencil on the cover, but um, it's it's a little bit whipped. It's got that, like, really stiff, like, maybe it got damp at once. It's not like water oh, yeah. damage, but it's I, like I that, you know what I'm talking about? Kind of crinkly. Yeah. And I missed my opportunity. If I'd have known that my copy of number two was in such rough shape, I could have uh, had my pick of a whole box full of them. At uh, at the last Atlanta Comic Convention I went to, for some reason the guy had like at least half a long box full, just of issue two. I have no idea why, but I saw it. and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But then I didn't buy it. I don't... It's, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because the copy of two and three that I have right now, I bought at the comic show we went to in in February <laughs> because I had whipped to shit copies myself. The the one I had had a date like somebody you know one of those stampers. Yeah, Nate Stampers had put it on there, and you know the, the the you know I'm not like super anal retentive about my comics, but I like them looking nice. You know, yeah, and me it, too. It, yeah, you know, I'll buy it if I want to read it in kind of crappy condition, but I'll always have in the back of my my mind if I can find it cheap, I'll pick it up again. And you know what? A dollar for both of these was cheap. I'm actually kicking myself. I should have just bought that entire freaking run in there. Yeah, and the only reason I say that is uh, I was going over the last episode uh, today just to hear how it sounds on the Zoom, and um, I made a comment about I really wish I could get a second copy of all of these and have them bound, and I could have fucking done that, but (laughs) (laughs) oh well, life goes on. They're cheap on eBay. Go look. Another thing about the cover. I gotta agree with you, man. I'm glad you said it because uh, I-, I was afraid that uh, that I would make a disparaging remark about Joe Cuber in uh, in either you or the listeners. Probably some listener probably will anyway, but that you or the listeners would jump all over me about it. Now I know the guy's a legend in the field. I know that, but it doesn't. You know, here's the thing. I don't think that just because you're a legend in in any field that that you should be above criticism or whatever and i'm sorry i've never been a joe kubert fan i really don't understand the attraction that scratchy look just doesn't do it for me it's the same reason i don't dig on um john ramita jr's current stuff it's got that same scratchiness to it that i i just can't stand there's something about it to me that looks unfinished i I just don't dig that art style if you dig it uh, that's cool. I'm not knocking anybody that does. It's just not for me. And uh, I really um, – it'll drive me nuts here in a little bit because I know that we get into a whole long run where Kubert did a lot of covers for the early issues of All-Star Squadron. And uh, and uh, that's much to my regret because I wish that the interior artists had supplied the covers on all the issues of this. I just don't really like his superhero work. I mean, I like his Sergeant Rock art. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it's just like I see Sergeant Rock drawn by him because he created the character, I believe. Right. You know, and I, you know, and I dig that, and I kind of halfway dig his Hawkman work from the '60s, but it's like these covers, like you said, because you have Buckler and Ordway, and then eventually Ordway, but Ordway did a lot of his own covers, thankfully. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you have Buckler and Ordway on the inside, it's kind of like getting it's the reverse of having the Neil Adams cover of Superman and Kurt Swan's artwork on the inside. Yes. Yeah, I'll buy that. So, yeah. you know, it's just like God. I just want all of this to be like that. So, and and it's actually worse, I think, when it is the reverse because at least. You know, if they're doing it for sales, then I would think that that old trick of you know the awesome Neil Adams cover, and then somebody you know, I hate to keep picking on Kurt Swan, but Kurt Swan on the inside, at least with that, there's a good chance that that trick worked sales wise. I'm not sure that it would be the other way around with something like this, where you've got somebody that uh, maybe Joe Kubert's not a good example, but a lesser artist on the cover, and then you open it up, and the interior is absolutely beautiful. You know, is that a good strategy? I don't know. But then again, you know, DC may not have been looking at it that way. For to them, Joe Kubert's a legend, so they probably didn't think that you know that this would be something that might turn a kid off. But from from the time I was a kid, I remember looking at these covers and just being turned off. I don't. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any Kubert cover I've ever liked. I just don't care for his art style. It just, to me, is uh, is a scratchy, unfinished. It's unpolished. I guess is what I don't like about it. I look at this cover right here, and it's like, wow, why didn't they ink this? You know, that's I, just what it looks like to me. It looks know, like a pencil rot or a rough. I also think that DC didn't think there were going to be these two assholes that were going to podcast about it either. So there you go. All right. So moving on, on the complete other end of the scale, this is a great opening splash page. Oh, yeah. Love this opening splash of, you know, you've got all these heroes running out the front gate of the White House. And uh, one of the female reporters standing outside says, it's the Justice Society. I just love that. It's it's iconic, and it's it's really great. I really Johnny Quick looked like he just got lucky with one of the interns. He actually, I, he looks a lot like Superman right there to me. I mean, if you, know, you excuse the blonde hair and the mask and all that, I, I think it's a very Superman-esque kind of face on him. And I, I really like that. I think that's neat. Um now, a little bit further in here, I always get a kick out of this with Hawkman. You know, Hawkman, never one of my favorite characters, but I, one of the things I do like about him, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy when it comes to fighting. I mean, Oh, yeah. And this mace to the face on page four, whenever I see Hawkman actually using a mace, and nine times out of ten they would do it exactly this way, you see him swinging the mace, obviously clouting somebody right in the face with it, yet the person's head is actually off panel, and you just see their hands reaching out, you know, as they fly back. And I imagine, like, half their skull is just gone now. I mean... Either that or, like, their nose is just completely broken and blood is just pouring down their face. And they've they've lost an eye because of one of the spikes. Yeah, that's like a Tarantino move. I mean, there's no way that you could take a hit with that weapon he's swinging, the way he's swinging it in that, and it's not really going to mess you up. Oh, God. I mean, it's not just simply, you know, like a punch and the guy goes unconscious. This is just like he's got to be rushed to emergency surgery, you know? That's bad. But on the flip side, I kind of like that we don't see the aftermath because what's in our head is always going to be better than right. somebody, than somebody drawing. It's it's one of my beefs with 
the current comic book marketplace is that if they're, especially DC, is if they're going to show an act of violence, they're going to show it. Yeah. I mean, Infinite Crisis is a good example of that. What would have been more effective? Seeing, like we did, uh, Black Adam putting his fingers into the Psycho Pirate's eyes and vibrating so, like, basically the head explodes. Seeing that, or having a panel where he grabs the Psycho Pirate, the next panel shows him, like, bringing his fingers back, and then, like, having a big, huge, like, middle panel of, like, the aftermath of the blood spurting him on the face, but you don't see what happened, but you know he's dead. Right. I think that's more effective art-wise. Well, it's not just art-wise. I would always prefer that because I think it's just good taste, you know? Yeah. Because... While I like the fact that comics have matured and they have advanced and they are not, you know, solely regarded as kitty fodder anymore like they they have been for most of their existence, at the same rate, I still want to be able to hand, you know, something that has Superman in it to a child and something that has heads and arms being ripped off that has Superman in it to me is just a crime. It's just wrong. It shouldn't ever happen. So I know which I prefer. Thomas DJ put it best. He goes, it's mature, but mature from like a 14 year old standpoint. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, and it's sad because it's a bunch of 40 year old men producing this work. <laughs> so page seven, uh, I, when uh, Hawkman recaps his uh, origin to Liberty Bell, I love this because only in comic books, can a guy tell brand new acquaintances that he's just met that he's a reincarnated Egyptian <laughs> prince and they just totally take it in stride at face value? It's awesome. <laughs> Is any other time if you just met somebody and said, Hi, I'm the reincarnated anything, they're uh, going to think you're a nut job. That's really nice. I'm going to go get some more punch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's been nice talking to you. Let me uh, jump out of this plane. You see, my luck in life is I'm the guy that gets that shit at parties. So, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what it is about my face, but people like come up and like, you know, my dad beat me when I was a kid. Really? That's that's fucking great. I'm gonna go over <laughs> here now and never talk to you again. <laughs> now, on page eight, we get to the bottom, and I was like, oh god. If I had known that Plaz was going to give his origin story in the very next issue, <laughs> I wouldn't have wasted my time with the uh, with the thing last time. Which uh, brings up something that you and I talked about just before we started the show. Um, guys, we have discussed this. I don't think we need character spotlights. I, I was missing the feature and, th- and thinking, what a brilliant idea. Let's bring that back. How did we ever get away from that? Well, as we discussed, you know, with this series... These characters pretty much end up giving the, us their origin stories as they go along from time to time. And I I don't think that there's ever anybody that's really left out of that. So we're just going to let that kind of progress naturally on its own. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah, with with all of the, the work that Roy Thomas does, either in the story or in the footnotes, to bring us up to speed... I just rather read the footnotes, really. Right. Yeah, Cause, exactly. Because he can do it a lot better than I can. So there you go. <laughs> I like during this time that uh, Robot Man's assistant, when when he was actually you know fully human and and was a, a scientist, 
His assistant, Chuck Grayson, during this era actually was related to Dick he was, Grayson. He was either his cousin or his uncle. It's mentioned in a future episode. episode. Well, it will be mentioned on a future episode. It is mentioned in a future issue. Because mm-hmm. Batman and Robin show up because Robin's going to visit his family member, Chuck Grayson, and that's how they bring everybody together, which I thought was fucking brilliant. You know, the uh, the dialogue in both of these issues, I noticed, um, more than the first two stories that we reviewed, I think the dialogue is clunkier and a hell of a lot cornier in both of these, but I still really enjoy it. You oh, know? yeah. It's, oh, it's, definitely. Uh, you know, it's like I mentioned last episode. You know, you can kind of look at it like that. You, you, you can recognize something as clunky and corny. But that doesn't mean that you don't enjoy it. You can recognize an old film as being kind of corny, either in terms of sentiment or humor or even like a horror movie from the 50s that is just cheesy as hell. But you still enjoy it on some level because when you were younger, it meant something to you. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that definitely. I mean, Superman the movie to a, to a large degree is like that. Because mm-hmm. I, I know that I, I'll watch it with other people who aren't into it as much as I am. And I watch that movie, and it comes off to me as very sweet and very, um, you know, just what it is. All the emotions I feel with that movie. But other people will watch it with me, and they'll roll their eyes at certain things, you know. And like, you know, the whole get the fuck out of your house. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now, I love on page uh, 13, panel 2. They're uh, they're showing the how do they put it here? When three Justice Society heroes swoop down on a group of Axis spies attempting to abduct a gathering of America's most brilliant scientists, and I'm thinking, since when was Colonel Sanders one of our most brilliant scientists? <laughs> look at that dude. Professor Z does look kind of like Colonel Sanders in certain shots. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's that's why Degaton killed him because he was apparently a prick to work for. <laughs> so that doesn't surprise me. Now I had the same note about the formula, and I'm going to attempt a no prize on this. I'm going to attempt a no prize with the explanation that by formula, Roy Thomas really meant blueprint, because you're you are absolutely right. A formula is not something that would uh, allow you to build a force field. A blueprint would be, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, because when, when I think of maybe I've got the wrong idea, but when I think formula, I'm thinking of like the crazy scientist with his little beaker things and his test tubes, you know, pouring stuff back and forth and there's little smoke and all that sort of. That's what I'm thinking of. So, or, or even, how the hell does that enable you to build a machine that produces a force field? It, it, it doesn't in my book. Or even Johnny Quick's speed comes from a mathematical formula. Right. So that works as well. But, you know, basically, when I hear that they've developed a bomb-proof formula, I get, like you said, there's a beaker they poured on the ground, and suddenly, for some whatever reason, this giant fucking dome pops out of nowhere. Nah. Like, like it's alchemy and not science. Yeah, see, it doesn't work, because later on when it shows per degaton... Um, sabotaging the thing, sabotaging the thing. It's an actual machine. It looks like a, it looks like a toaster or a radio or something. So it's a machine. It's not, it's not a formula. It don't work. 
But what I do love, though, third panel on page 15, I'm pretty sure that standing under a force field while bombs are being dropped onto it is not the best way to actually test your force field. <laughs> I could be wrong about that, but it's not the way I would go about doing it. Just saying. Um, what is it with Time Machine inventors being shot before they even get to take a, a test drive in their time machine? This just seems to come up a lot in science fiction. Um, the doc's alive. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry with apologies to Roy Thomas. As a matter of fact, I don't think that this is actually Roy Thomas is doing. I think he's actually recapping something that happened in a golden age story. Now golden age stories. This is one of the reasons I don't really care for golden age stories. A lot of times because they were written for kids and, as I'm very fond of saying, I think they were written for stupid kids. They don't make a hell of a lot of sense. <laughs> now, Per Degaton goes back in time and does something, I forget what, that causes history to change. Okay, I'm with you so far, right? But here's the thing that doesn't make any sense. And Per Degaton even says it doesn't make any sense, that certain things changed, yet other things didn't. So you have, for example, he's in some city. I forget what city this is, New York or wherever. Anyway, you've got an L train platform throughout the city, but the train was not invented. You've got light bulbs, yet they don't have electricity. Okay, I'm sorry. Calling a spade a spade, that's retarded. You know, <laughs> if, if history Damn. changed to where there were never trains then why the hell would you have L, L tracks in the city? If you don't have the train, you don't have tracks. Yeah, do you realize the infrastructure it takes to build tracks throughout a city? Right. I, I mean, the the money that they spend on that, that's, yeah, that's complete horseshit. Nobody ever looked up and said, you know, what the hell is that for anyway? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's just really silly. But, again, I don't think it's really Roy Thomas. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised. If, you know, I know that Roy Thomas has a hell of a good sense of humor, so I wouldn't be surprised if he left that in there just because it is patently ridiculous. So for I appreciate that angle of it. Um, at first, I you know, my first impression walking away from the end of this story was, damn, the All-Stars got to California awfully fast. But in the next issue, I believe it is remarked upon that now it's evening time. Yeah. So maybe they didn't really get there as fast as I thought. But that sort of thing, if you don't pay attention, actually does happen a lot in comic books. You know, mm -hmm. the Avengers, you know, they hear about some fire in Wakanda and three panels later they're there and you're like, damn, you know, <laughs> you know this is supposed well, to be the other side of the planet. But well, they get Quinjet there. can haul ass. Well, maybe. yeah. Uh, OK, but this is the 40s, you know, yeah. how fast could we get across the country in the 40s? I'm thinking what? six eight hours probably i mean it's a five hour flight now to get from here to la yeah so you know you got to think it's probably even longer than that back then you know they didn't yeah, have jets, jets yeah yeah so it was yeah. the nth metal a bit of a stretch there, there's my no prize it was the nth metal in the being in the plane allowed it to travel faster <laughs> all right I'll, I'll give you that i guess no, you don't have to. It's okay if you disagree <laughs> with me. I'm just pulling this shit out of my ass. And lastly, you know, I consider myself something of a of a of a history buff, but my 
I'm not so good when it comes to World War II stuff as I as I originally thought I did. And this issue raised a really good thought, or a really good point, rather, that I thought about a long time ago and just was too lazy to ever do any research into it. But why did America concentrate on defeating Germany first and not Japan? Because that, that's a really good point, because it wasn't the friggin' Germans that bombed us. It was the Japanese that bombed us. So why the hell did we go... I, fight that war first and not the people that actually attacked us. It's kind of like what people are accusing us doing now where a certain group attacked us on 9-11, so we go kick some other country's ass for it. Okay, here's... Um, I could be wrong about this because, again, I'm not an expert. I have a book called Don't You Know There's a War On, which actually... The only reason I bought it is that Roy Thomas is, cites it in a future letters page as mm-hmm. something he read for this series. So I tracked down a copy. I ordered it. It came in. I've never read it because I'm a lazy bastard. But um, I think between that book and, and some other things I've read that Germany declared war on us around the same time Japan did. A couple of like, days later, I think. Yeah, yeah for, for like solidarity. And two, we were itching to kick Germany's ass anyways. Right. With all of the, uh, you know, the Lend-Lease program and all of the aid we were sending to England, which was very controversial from what I understand. FDR took a lot of shit for that because, you know, there was a strong isolationist movement in this country, not to mention the American Nazi Party that was holding fucking rallies in Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, touting the superiority of the uh, of the, of the Nazis. So you know, it, it, it you know we we look at movies like Saving Private Ryan and and other movies set in World War II, and we think like it was just you know like you know we were all itching to get into it. And when we got in there, we kicked a lot of ass. But guarantee you, if there was like a, a CNN and a Fox News and a MSNBC and all of those other major news outlets that we have today, there'd be fucking talking head shows all over the place. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that there were radio talking head shows, which I guess would be talking voices. I don't know, because you can't see the heads. But <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that there were, like, editor. Because remember when you were a kid where there would be just, like, some kind of fucking random editorial on television? Oh, because yeah. I, I guarantee you there was shit like that going on back then. I don't have evidence to it, but I don't yet. know about that. I, you know, as uh, I would, I would argue that only because I'm, again, you know, not a friggin' historian. This is not my strong suit, but I'm pretty sure that I've heard in my lifetime that shit was a lot different back then, press wise. That that the government would actually lean on the media sometimes to. You know, to not to go certain places and and stuff like that. You know, I, I could be dead wrong about that, but I'd swear I've heard that before. To where, you know, plus I I think some of it came down to uh, for whatever reason. I don't know if it was national solidarity. I don't know if it was. It was a different era. It was a different yeah, was way a of doing things. Era. But you know, for example, the press never took pictures of. Uh, you know, certain pictures of FDR, you know, sh- pictures that would show him as weak or infirm. <laughs> Can you imagine that today? You know, if we had a president today that that had some infirmity or some 
physical defect. That shit, if he was unpopular, especially, or, or just the other side, you know, the other side of the aisle, that that stuff would be out there constantly. You know, anytime that, you know, the other side can get a picture of the president picking his nose or scratching his ass, they do. They take advantage or of that. That's sex just with an intern. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, that sort of thing is just the way the world is today. It's the way America is today. But it wasn't back then. It was different. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know if I don't want to say I, allowed, but I, I kind of wonder if that sort of thing would have been allowed back then. If you would have had, um, you know, a, a, a Bill O'Reilly or a Rush Limbaugh or a Al Franken or somebody like that back in those days, I don't know I'm, that the government would put up with that bullshit back I'm, I'm then. I'm talking mainly before the war. Right. No, I mean, I, now I do know that there were people that, you know, that were saying both both things, you know, both we need to get into this thing and we need to stay out of this thing. But my impression, what what I was taught basically in school and, and different things I've read was that America really had a very hands off thing when it came to foreign affairs back then. It was very much an isolationist mentality. And this is what heavily owes into the conspiracy theory that certain people in the government knew that uh, Pearl Harbor was, you know, the attack was imminent and allowed it to happen to propel America into World War II. I don't know if I buy that. I, I prefer yeah, we, we kind of talked to... about that last episode, too. Oh, okay, yeah. See, I think I prefer... we did. We talked about it in some episode. Yeah, <laughs> I prefer not to believe that. But it it is a believable scenario in yeah. some aspects, only because you know you have to remember America was still struggling to claw its way out of the Great Depression, and historically speaking, war's damn good for an economy. Oh yeah, we wouldn't have gotten out of the depression as fast as we did. Keeping in mind the depression was going on for over a decade by this point, right? But we would not have gotten out of the depression. I, I'm, I'm almost willing to say at all if we didn't go to war. Exactly. Because it put people back to work. It sent, you know, it, it sent men off to to war. They were getting paid to do that. You know, um, men and, and and especially women back on the home front were working to make bombs and tanks and guns and right. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it it it, it got us working again and. You know, you, you can make you can make some debates, and we could probably go on for hours about this. About the, you know, that's when the income tax started getting pulled directly from the payroll instead of you paying it once a year, right? Uh, so that they could get the money faster. And it was right. promised that at the end of the war they would stop that. <laughs> Good luck. Right. But but yeah, it, no no question about it. World War Two got us out of the depression and put America on top financially for almost two decades yeah until the 60s and you know the recession in the 70s where, well no, it really that was that was kind of our national that was kind of the way we did it and it wasn't until honestly gulf war one that it no longer worked that was the first war america fought where 
that tactic was suddenly discovered to no longer work, that just because wow. we were a nation at war that we would automatically snap out of dire financial straits. Well, let's be fair. We were at war for like 32 days. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we were at war for six or seven years, but I think the recent war has definitely proven that. Yeah. But but I think Gulf War One was more of, I'm sorry, that was us going and beating some ass because we had the superior firepower to do so. <laughs> and I personally think that Lee Greenwood is responsible for every major American war since he wrote God Bless the USA. But that's my own personal conspiracy <laughs> theory. God, I need to make some money. All right, jump into your notes. We are so far off. (laughs) I was about to go in about the time I met Lee Greenwood, but I guess... Oh, um, no. He's a nice guy. He's very short. I like that song, though. Oh, I love that song. God, when I heard it... No no shit. When I heard it on 9-11, I'm like, I needed to hear that fucking song. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. That patriotism is off my sleeve and onto my face. Um, Really like Hawkman on the splash page. Looks really freaking awesome. Just a really good shot of the character. Uh, You know, you covered a lot of the same things I wanted to cover. I love this fight scene with the gangsters. Buckler did action fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a a couple notes uh, of a particular move he did three or four times in the next issue that I'll get to then. Um, I really like Liberty Bell's mask. I don't know why, but it looks really cool and old-fashioned, like like old-school superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like that. I'm willing to bet that a lot of the guys were wishing she would take off her gear and not just her mask, but that's because I'm a pervert. Um, page 9, right there at the bottom, that shot of Adam. Again, why Buckler made me like the Adam. You can see a definite face. You can see cheekbones, you can see a jaw. It just brings a lot of personality to a character that's face is fully covered. So I really do appreciate that. Um, Going through, Jesus, Hawkman just fucking, oh God, on page 13, uh, that third panel, I mean, he is just breaking that dude's jaw. Yeah. There is no question. He just caved that man's face in. And that's and you said it and I never really thought about it, but another reason why I like these older these golden age heroes, especially when they're doing the the kind of the quote unquote modern versions of them, is that they would just beat your ass. There yeah. was there was no I mean when they go after those thugs robbing the armored car, there's no oh, we're just going to take you down and let the cops finish you. No, this is, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to just beat the hell out of you. (laughs) Page 14, look at Dr. Midnight at the bottom punching that dude in the stomach after the other guy's face hit the floor first. I mean, (laughs) he he just decimated those people, and I love that. Um if Professor Z was my boss, I'd probably fucking shoot him and beat the hell out of him, too. And that's what Degaton does on page 17. He doesn't shoot him. He beats him to death with his bare hands. You know, Degaton is never really portrayed as a badass. He should have been. Oh, my God. <sighs> he needs some anger management what, what did What did Professor Z do that you think he deserves... <laughs> 
to be shot and beat. Uh, let's see. Um, here. I mean, granted, he did. He didn't share his secret formula for seven herbs and spices with Berdegatzon, but still. <laughs> It's just his attitude, uh, not not the "I really ought to fire you." I thought there was something else where he would walk in and he would think uh, he would he would talk about how Degaton was kind of slow and a dullard. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're right. Now that I read his dialogue, yeah, he does seem to run him down quite a lot. So, um, page twenty. This drives me up the fucking wall. As much as I love Buckler's art. I am no, by no means a master of hand-to-hand combat, but if you look at how the Shining Knight is positioned with that sword, with that arm all the way back like that, like he's going to bring it around, mm-hmm. all Solomon Grundy has to do is step in and put a hand on that arm and just cave his skull in with the other fist. It's just... Poor fighting, really. I mean, it looks dramatic, but it bothers the piss. What I thought you were going to comment on is something that that I remember thinking as I saw that panel was that Danette needs to seriously step back or he's going <laughs> to lob her head right off. <laughs> there can be only one. She's just too close. I mean, you know, if, somebody, if I saw somebody swinging around a giant sword like that, I'd get the hell out of the way. <laughs> well, you know, she's, 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 she's got a fiery temper, one would say. Like the Battle of San Francisco, or at least the first part of it that we see here, the only thing I... I know it's part of his powers. I don't like the fact that Johnny Quick half-ass flies. And I think it's because it's a half-ass nature, you know? Yeah. It's not like he can just take off and fly. It's it's like he's going on momentum, and that just doesn't really work for me all that much. Um it's one of my pet peeves with him. I can take the super speed, right? You know, the when only he's running th- around fast, I, I'm good with that. But uh. the only thing that ever bothered me about the fact that, like you said, I, I'll agree with you. I like that term, half-ass flies. The only thing about it that ever bothered me was that, to my mind, Johnny Quick was like a third-rate Flash. Mm-hmm. And since none of the other speedsters, you know, none of the other Flashes or any other speedsters can do this. It, I, I don't know what exactly they were going for. Is it to show that you know? Was it just to purposely make him different from the other so. speedsters? I, I don't know. But you would think that a faster speedster would be able to do this even better than he can do it. So I don't know that that comic book logic never quite followed to me. Wow, you know that uh, that picture of. Uh, the first panel of uh, Phantom Lady on page 21. She's cute. I like Phantom Lady. Oh, yeah. Not I just because did. of her outfit. I like I like her because of her outfit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I like her power set. I like how Roy Thomas will eventually, we'll see, tie her to another hero. Uh, oh, I thought you were tie her to a chair. Well, that would be kind of cool, too. But uh, mm. my final note, page 26. Okay, the... Uh, Two notes, page 26, you know, in a time when books were either 22 pages or 17 pages, 26 pages for 60 cents. Oh, my God. Um, Volcanic Isle Detonator. Now, maybe this is because I work at a job where I have to put out (laughs) signage and I think about such things. It's like when you look at the register that I have to deal with. 
there's little pre-printed tabs that go under a little plastic thing that tell you, you know, like one, two, credit, cash. So at what point in the creation of this machine, this, 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 um, submarine, did Degatine subcontract the printing of the buttons so that he would know which one was which? <laughs> it just drives me up the freaking wall every time I see it. Like, no, he would just know that the big red button over there is the self-destruct button. And he would say, okay, now I am destroying the volcanic island. <laughs> Not because there's a nice little button there. Maybe it's because, so like, like the, you know, the, the broken English-speaking janitor that cleans up the joint at night won't accidentally press it. But I don't know if my, my logic holds on that either. I don't know. I actually like it being labeled because it drives me crazy in science fiction movies where they get into the gleaming spaceship. There's 90 bazillion flashing lights <laughs> yet, the, you know, and yet they sit. Well, like look at like Batman, the animated series is a perfect example. Batman's got that giant friggin' computer with this ginormous keyboard with like 50 rows of keys. Not a damn one of them labeled. Yeah, he can sit there and type like a madman and knows that, you know, I mean, he never has to hunt for like, you know, like the pound key or something. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Pound, stance. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the only thing about that, though, is that you would think that an important button like the vo volcanic aisle <laughs> detonator button would have one of those flip covers over it, you know, just to make sure he doesn't accidentally <laughs> lean on it, you know, when he's talking to his girlfriend on the phone or something. Hey, baby, what's going on? Yeah, I go oh, shit. Shit. Oh, God. Oh, I gotta go. No, I gotta, no, no, I'm not ignoring you. No, 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 don't, no, look, look, oh, now look what you made me do. <laughs> <sighs> Swear to God, I'm dumping you as soon as I blow up this island. I called and told you never to call me when I'm taking over the world. <laughs> All Gagaton right. has a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so closing out uh, issue number two, we'll take a brief look at the ads here. And unfortunately, they're kind of freaking sorry. There's not really anything too awful awesome, except we do have a hostess ad. But we got uh, Grit. You We've know got, uh, what mm -hmm. strikes me about the thing at the bottom? Can't find DC Comics on the West Coast. Can you imagine a time when there, when distribution was so splintered that you might not be able to get comics in a certain area? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, kind of kind of experienced that where I grew up cuz Marvel was was very prevalent and DC was not, which is why I have to this day I still have like certain series where I have like every other issue or every third issue or something like that cuz mm -hmm. yeah, the distribution could be a little bit wonky. Would it be piss wonky? Sometimes, yeah, and it, it was frustrating, you know, it was really frustrating when you were trying to, you know, because I've always been more a DC boy than a Marvel boy, you know, it's just, they're, they're my guys, you know, they're my company, and the universe I prefer, and it was a bitch sometimes trying to keep up, you know, because you'd go back to the same place month after month, but that same place may not have the same books month after month, they were at the mercy of the distributor. 
Uh, we have a bubble yum ad. Someone really needs to Photoshop this bubble yum ad of her him like saying, "I gave you the clap." <laughs> that other kid looks like he's trying to put his hand on her ass too, or somewhere else. I mean, it's yeah, somewhere. Wow. What else have we got? I love the uh, hostess ad in this one, by yes, the way, because I know exactly who that guy really is in real life. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got the creepy lifesavers ad. Lifesavers. <laughs> it's really, a, it was really a snake interesting. in the bag. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a snake in the bag? Is that what you just said? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it a trouser snake? Um, <laughs> no. The, yep. uh, it was really interesting speaking of ads uh, of the ads that we covered last week were basically the same ads that you covered in your star Wars monthly Monday episode with the irredeemable shag. <laughs> Cause it was like the same month, I think. Yeah. You're <laughs> right. Funny as hell. That's it. We got prizes for cash and the Magnum 440 ad on the back. So that just, yeah. So that leaves uh, the, uh, the hostess ad. Do you want to be Batman? I want to. I want to do the whole damn thing, but uh, okay. Well, let me let me flip back to it here. Oh, do you want me to do the whole damn if thing? You I don't do care. It, if it makes you feel. I was better. I was just teasing, but I, okay. I will do the whole damn thing if you want because okay. I have a unique take on this one. I think. Okay, I will sit back and marvel <laughs> at the comic stylings of Scott okay. Gardner. Oh, all right, all right. So we've got Batman in light camera crime, and we've got uh Christopher Nolan is sitting outside the uh, city tank. <laughs> and there's this giant tank pulled up to it, and he says, Roll him! And Batman swings in, and he says, Not so fast. Breaking into the Gotham National Bank is not in the script. And the guy goes, Huh? As Batman's wrapping him up, he, all like Scooby Doo style, too. Huh? So Christopher Nolan runs out, and he goes, Cut, cut! Batman says, That's right, crime director. It's the end of the reel for you. <laughs> and so. Christopher Nolan says, not so, Batman. When I say cut, I mean it. And he's, got, he's ordering these uh, pirates to rush up on Batman. They're all carrying knives and swords and stuff. And Batman says, pirates in the cast, eh? So he reaches into this refreshment truck that just happens to be sitting there, and he tosses uh, hostess cupcakes at the guys. He says, ahoy, men, cut into these hostess cupcakes. So the crime uh, director, he's totally sabotaged. Sabotaged. As his men, the pirates stand around and go, Mmm, a delicious treasure inside rich chocolatey cake. Chocolatey icing, too. And Christopher Nolan says, You guys are breaking your contract. And Batman, taking him away, says, Cheer up, crime doctor. Now you can show your films in prison to a captive audience, which is exactly the kind of audience that he plays to. So you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Cupcakes. I, I don't buy it. Christopher Nolan's English. I can't do it in English. I know. I'm just kidding. That was great. Oh, my God. See, a decade ago, you would have said Joel Schumacher. I may have. I may have, actually. You know, because he's reviled. But uh, I, 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 think, I think much like anything, uh, he was not the main driving force of what blew chunks about Batman and Robin. But he was he was there. He didn't say no. <laughs> So do you want to take a quick break before we get into issue three? Let's do that. All righty. Now, now here's some message. From, well, I won't call them our sponsors because they don't give us any money. Um, <laughs> okay, let me write this down. Get real sponsors. And... 
pick up antibiotics. Okay. It's just, just a little infection. Don't worry about it. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. To him, life is a great big bang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find the Spider Man. I got the dogs and the burgers on the grill. The female companions are already deep in the first annual strip volleyball game. <laughs> and McC- Come on, Gillen, you know you have to take off your bottom. McLean is regaling Kirk with dirty stories. This is going to be the best summer ever. Ah, true that. It is the better a dark summer of fun. Hey, Michael. Hey, wait a minute. What's Shag doing here? You invited him. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's cool, I guess. Just one thing I don't get. What are all these cowboys doing here? You know what's going down. They're here for the contest, man. Ah, the Better in the Dark Summer of Fun Cowboys Contest. Yeah, you know that. For the summer of 2010, we are doing a special contest where we want you to give us a thousand-word essay on your favorite cowboy movie or television show or a thousand-word weird western tale. These are the rules of the contest. We're going to go over them very quickly because there's not that many. Entries have to be no more than a thousand words. We will count these things. Please, folks, no 30-page essays. Women who think that their looks will influence us are heartily encouraged to send pictures. The winner is entirely up to myself and Tom, so no bitching about that. Affiliates of Folkwork Press and Earth2.net 
are not eligible yes. for this contest. And bribes not accepted, at least not while Tom is watching. Also, we should mention, you have to register at the official Better Than Dark boards at betterthedark.proboards.com. There will be a space set aside for you to submit your story or essay. And what do they get? Well, what they get is Volume 1 of the Grimjack Omnibus by John Ostranda and Timothy Truman. This is a wonderful packet that collects stories from Star Slayer issues 10 through 17 and Grimjack issues 1 through 13 as originally published by First Comics between 1983 and 1985. If you like cowboys, you like swashbucklers, you like demons, you like crazy looking critters with four legs, this is the comic for you. Just by hearing this John Strand and Timothy Truman should be enough incentive for you to get it. This is a great way for you to get one of the two great comic series of the 80s in one package. That's not all you That's got. not all we got. We also have my first novel, Dylan and the Voice of Odin. So you're going to get an autographed copy by me, Naturalmente, included in that package. But yet, there's more! There's no more! You will also get a copy of the legendary Frontier Publishing Presents, the number one and only issue. Why should you want to have a copy of this? Because in it is the first and to date, notice I said to date, comic book story featuring my character Dylan. In a story entitled, Dylan and the Escape from Tosegio. Woohoo! The story is by me. The script is by Russ Anderson, mm-hmm. who is the editor of the other All prize. going to be given away. And the art is by Alex Kozakowski. And speaking of Russ Anderson, Pulpworks Press has agreed to give us, as the final bit of our little prize package, a hot off the presses copy of How the West Was Weird, edited by Russ, and featuring stories by the both of us, as well as a bunch of other talented yes, people. Bill Katepi, Joel Jenkins, lots of great people that we've talked about in very glowing terms in the past. It's got Aztec mummies, it's got zombie towns, it's got supernatural gunslingers, it's got naked. Mexican chicks. What more do you need to know? I wish I wasn't giving yes. this stuff away so I could enter the contest and get it. The deadline for this contest is August 28th, and we will announce the winner on a future episode sometime in September of Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark Summer Funk Cowboy Contest from Better in the Dark and Public Press. Get to writing, partner. The deadline is August 28th. And join us all summer at www.earth2.net and www.loudcaster.com backslash channels backslash 214 movies about girls for all the madness on Better in the Dark Summer of Fun! Okay, we are back. And for the final segment of the show, we've got All-Star Squadron number three. This is the November 1981 issue, story entitled The Dooms of Dark December. This one, uh, The cover on this one is by Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It shows uh, the all-stars. They're all tackling or trying to tackle Solomon Grundy as he's being uh, egged on by Paradegaton. Writer on this one is, uh, of course, Roy Thomas. Penciled by Rich Buckler inked by Jerry Ordway. And getting into the synopsis for this one, from his submerged vantage point, Degaton watches on his view screen as the All-Stars fight his hypnotized pilots and patrol the streets of San Francisco. Despite this momentary snag, he is still confident that his plan will succeed. With the 15 fully armed Zeros heading for the more suburban areas to the south of the city, 
and the fact that because of his advanced technology, the Justice Society are still his captives. To ensure that the latter do not pose any future problems, he presses the button to destroy the island where the uh, mystically shackled society members are being kept. Now, this is the same button he just pressed at the end of the last issue. He really wanted to make sure that that island was destroyed. (laughs) Maybe it's got a short in it. He's got to hit it it like several times. Goddamn stupid button. And and then he picks up the control panel and smacks the side of it. Then he checks the batteries. Yeah. He looks under the panel. It says made in Japan. He's like, oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So meanwhile, Sir Justin the Shining Knight faces off against Solomon Grundy and then against Wotan and Professor Zodiac. Sir Justin's sword absorbs Wotan's magic, and the Shining Knight manages to hold the villains off while Danette Riley makes her escape. He succeeds, and before making his own escape, he slashes at the side of the vessel, allowing the seawater to pour in. Wotan fixes the damage, but not before Sir Justin and Danette are both gone. The two uh, surface quickly and find that Winged Victory is waiting for them. Moments later, the trio head back to the island to free the Justice Society, never suspecting that Wotan and Zodiac are following in Zodiac's funky plane. Below, Degaton, after a minor argument with Grundy, reflects on the time periods he plucked the villains from. Wotan from an extra-dimensional limbo in the late 40s, Zodiac from 1948 while escaping from the Justice Society, both Sky Pirate and King Bee, from a conveniently shared jail cell, the monster in his more milquetoast form from 1944, and Solomon Grundy from the construct Green Lantern had encased him in before plunging it deep underground in 1947. Degatson's attention suddenly turns to Grundy, who is pointing to the screen showing the All-Stars approaching overhead. With Plastic Man acting as a human drill, the Atom, Dr. Midnight, Liberty Bell, and Phantom Lady burrow into Degaton's ship. Midnight detonates one of his blackout bombs, which blinds Solomon Grundy, allowing Midnight to momentarily stun the creature. Degaton's minions finally arrive, and the ship erupts in violence as the heroes lay into the hypnotized underlings. Back on land, Robot Man, Hawkman, and Johnny Quick face off against the approaching Zeros. Johnny has Robot Man toss him into the sky towards the planes before the Metal Hero takes advantage of a nearby attraction and begins to hurl cannonballs at the Zeros. Back on the supposed volcanic island, Sir Justin and Danette are attacked by Wotan and Zodiac. The Shining Knight attempts to revive Superman. But Wotan's magic is too strong. Wotan hits Sir Justin with a slaying spell and then hits Danette with a similar bolt, causing her to fall into the artificial lava. Suddenly, the island erupts and the villains are sent back to their own time. Degaton watches this from his view screen and is soon shocked to see the form of the Spectre rise above the eruption as the Justice Society finally revive, along with Sir Justin and a glowing Danette Riley. What happened to make her glow, I wonder? Realizing his only escape is to return to 1947, Degaton disappears, and after the arrival of Robot Man, Johnny Quick, and Hawkman, the monster known as Solomon Grundy goes back to 1947, where instead of being trapped underground again, he is instead 
stranded on the moon. And really pissed, too. Oh, yeah. After Degaton's ship also disappears, the All-Stars are rescued by the Spectre and taken to the Golden Gate Bridge. The two teams compare notes and realize that they can't remember whom they had just battled or why. The Spectre announces that it doesn't matter, with Dr. Fate chiming in that their immediate concern is the war. The heroes then watch, with the aid of the Spectre, as the First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, delivers an address to the nation and asks that all costume heroes close ranks and join the All-Star Squadron. The announcement gives the heroes a new resolve, and in unison, the group cries out to remember Pearl Harbor. And that's the end of this issue and this first story arc, and I dug it. I did too, but I have one very, very specific beef. <laughs> Jerky? I wish. Oh, stop it. <laughs> trying to eat better, damn it. <laughs> I like beef jerky. I like beef jerky, too. <laughs> so covering the uh, historical notes real quick, um, Joe Kubert, he drew a version of this cover with a similar scene, but uh, Rich Buckler managed to convince Len Wein, the editor, that as interior artist, he should do the covers as well. I completely agree, by the way. I figured you would. <laughs> Later, with Kubert's blessing, Roy Thomas not only used the cover as an interior page in 1988's Young All-Stars Annual Number no. 1, but also as the cover to the trade paperback version of Alter, e Alter Ego magazine called Alter Ego, the comic book artist collection. Uh, personally, okay. I prefer the Buckler version. Which is not a slam against uh, uh, against Joe Kubert, but looking at this cover as you're seeing it right now, that looks like ass. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that at all. I really don't. Um, Solomon Grundy looks. I don't know. I just don't care. Like for he just opened the fucking Ark of the Covenant, and uh, Per Degaton looks like a little boy. Now, see how Johnny Quick is in that upper left yeah. corner right there? That's exactly the same kind of deal as how Firestorm looks on that DC Comics Presents cover I was just bitching about on Back to the Bins not long ago. He he looks just shoehorned in. Mm -hmm. It's an like he, awkward... Like he, like he wasn't sorry? supposed to be there. He looks smaller than all of the yeah. other characters. Yeah, I, I, I just, I'm sorry, I don't I don't care for it at all. I really don't enjoy that cover. Um, so in All-Star Comics number 42, which was uh, the August-September 1948 issue, Zodiac's supposedly alchemically-powered plane did not work properly and crashed, but it seems to work all right, you know, bleh. but it seems to work like gangbusters in this story. So, I don't know, maybe Degaton had his minions work on it or something? <laughs> Degaton's flashback regarding Solomon Grundy explains why Grundy was shown returning from exile on the moon in showcase number 55, which was the March-April 1965 issue of that magazine. Grundy had been sent to the moon in All-Star Comics number 33 in 1947, and this event had been superseded by Grundy's fourth and final Golden Age appearance in Comic Cavalcade number uh, 27 in... Uh, Late December uh, nineteen, or yeah, late December, in late nineteen forty-seven, uh, early nineteen forty-eight, where Grundy not only uh, exhibited enhanced intelligence 
but was buried deep underground by Green Lantern. Degaton's troops were apparently mesmerized by the same drug used to turn men into human robots in the Green Lantern tale from All-Star Comics number 2, the uh, fall 1940 issue. On a personal note, I thought that image of a revived Justice Society on the supposed volcanic isle was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, it is. I really, I like Batman. How he? Oh is. yeah, he's 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 just hanging like, what up? Yeah, that's good. And then Superman. I always like when Superman has that. You know, he's he's got his fist clenched, but he's just got that look like I'm just going to belt the bejesus out of somebody <laughs> right right now. He does. He looks cool. I, I even like Robin in the background, kind of cheering. Yeah, that, that's neat. <laughs> I'm not unconscious. <laughs> Yay! What's up with the Flash? I just noticed the Flash for the first time in this panel. He's got his arms. He's just got a, like a pouty, like, 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 damn it, I never get any good screen time anymore or something. <laughs> he looks like he's all pouty. It's awesome. Well, if, you'd be re- if you had been replaced by Johnny Quick, wouldn't you be kind of pissed? I might be, actually. I mean, I like Johnny Quick, but I'm thinking from Jay Garrick's perspective. The speech by uh, Eleanor Roosevelt on the evening of uh, December 7th, 1941, actually happened, but, you know, of course, without the mention of the uh, All-Star Squadron in real life. But wouldn't it have been awesome if it had? That would have been cool. The text page this issue was taken up by an All-Star Squadron supervillain fact file, which detailed some of the important information about the villains serving under Per Degaton. The uh, text was by Roy Thomas with art by Buckler and Ordway and featured Solomon Grundy, uh, Zodiac Wotan, and the Sky Pirates. Okay, my first note about this issue is, man, every time I hear Solomon Grundy, now I I think, Solomon Grundy wants pants too! (laughs) (sighs) This is a very solid issue. It's got everything I like in a superhero story. It's got a lot of heroes fighting villains. Um, I really don't have too many notes. I thought it was a little convenient that Winged Victory, which is now how I pronounce it because I used to say Winged Victory, but Winged Victory sounds so much better. Um, You get the feeling that Solomon Grundy just wanted to fucking kill Per Degaton by about halfway through this issue. (laughs) Let me back up to your other note, though. Is the horse's name really Winged Victory, or is it Victory? Because I always had the feeling it was actually Victory, but they were... But they just referred to him as Winged Victory? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know everything. I guess it doesn't really matter. I just... That was just one of those impressions I, I just always had. Maybe it just became Winged Victory or Winged Victory over time because that was always the the describer or whatever yeah. the, you call that adverb or whatever the hell, you know, that describes the victory. adjective. Adjective. There you go. It's late and I'm tired and I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, page nine. <laughs> We're going through where the... <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah. <laughs> Not touching that with a 10-meter cut-up rod. Uh, where they're going through all the origins of the, uh, uh, or not the origins, but how Degaton got the villains. We see uh, Sky Pirate and King Bee in a cell together and says, Sky Pirate and King Bee, I forget their real names, I found by luck sharing a common cell, not that they were on speaking terms at the time, because Sky Pirate just got done raping him. (laughs) If you look at the King Bee, he's got that, 
what <laughs> just happened to me, you know, far away look on his face. They're having a lover's spat. That's what's going that, that's on. That's kind of what it looks like. I'm sorry. Look at it. Look at look at Sky Pirate's face on that. It's just like, oh, God, it's creepy. I've seen Oz. I know what goes on in prison. <laughs> He's looking at him like, bitch. Exactly. And I'm sorry. After seeing King Bee, that man got raped in prison. There was... <laughs> And, and and the only reason that he let Sky Pirate do it, outside of the fact that Sky Pirate would have beat him to death if he didn't, is that now Sky Pirate is keeping all of the other supervillains from beating the hell out of him. So, uh, um, there is a maneuver that Buckler does. I'm trying to get the exact pages. One is on page 13. The other, it does happen again. I'm just trying to see where it is. At least, oh, on page 23, ten pages later. In the second panel on page 13, that dude got hit so hard, his head nearly turned all the way around. You mean Wonder Man? Yeah. <laughs> nice night. Well played, sir. But seriously, look at that, and then I'll look on the bottom of page 23. When Johnny Quick belts that guy, that I like it because it shows how hard they got hit. Yeah, that they got hit so hard that it just whipped their head around, and it's just like, wow, oh, that's such a great artistic choice. And uh, and, and and I'm really, I, I'm I'm curious about this comment that Johnny Quick makes on page twenty-three. Wonder where a monster straight out of a Universal horror pit got a name like Solomon Grundy? Funny. He doesn't look Jewish. Yeah, I didn't know that wrong? either. What is up with that? <laughs> I hope it's a reference to something because that's extremely kind of offensive when you think about it. Yeah, I, I didn't know what that what that was. I don't know if that was in reference to a golem or is the Solomon Grundy rhyme a, a Jewish thing? I Yeah, I didn't get that either. I honestly didn't. If anybody out there in listener land knows what that's in reference to, I, I'd love to know. Okay. Here's my beef with this issue. And it's my beef with stories like this. And it's going to be a common theme among Paradegaton stories in the future. We have this whole really neat story where the heroes are fighting the villains. And at the end of it, no one remembers it because of time travel. See, you tipped your hand, or, or tipped Roy Thomas's hand, I guess, last issue or last episode, rather, when you said something about how this story wrapped up, and I got to thinking that very thing of, oh, shit, don't tell me this is another one of those stupid stories where none of it ever happened at the end of it. I hate those kind of time travel stories. However, I'm going to forgive it with this one because it's not like that. They simply don't remember who they were fighting and per Degaton never remembers the whole, but it all still did happen. It's not, it's not a star Trek ending where it was all wiped away at the end. And it was like, so what was the point of all that? You know what I mean? It it just, it just still, it irks me. Oh, I, I, it uh, it bothers me too. Yeah. I don't like it, but I'd rather have that than the one where in the end it was all pointless. Oh yeah. And I want to make a specific reference, but you haven't read it yet. And I don't want to tip that hand. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, when you read it, I think you're going to be as kind of annoyed as I was at it, because <laughs> um, we kind of share opinions like that every once in a while. But no, it's just—I mean, when you think about how important this story is, 
that shouldn't be the story that the heroes barely remember. <laughs> you know? Right. And, you know, there's there's an origin in here that we'll get to in a couple of weeks that that character doesn't remember how they got their powers. <laughs> so it's just like, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, I like, I like Per Degaton as a villain. I really do. I think he's got a good visual. I think he was used very well on that Brave and the Bold episode. Yeah. The JSA crossed over. I never saw Clancy Brown as his voice, but it worked. Um, I always pictured him as kind of having this kind of voice because he's kind of short and, you know, has a lot of uh, self-esteem issues because you know, obviously the guy has self-esteem issues. Look at all the shit he just did to, to change history so he can rule. But I will say this. I didn't mention it in the last issue, but I'll mention it here. That is a great concept. His idea... And the plot was great. I love it. That, okay, I can't go to the future and take over the world because of how the, the political structure is. For some reason, and do they ever explain the time storm over 39 to 41? No, but I, I didn't, well, I mean, not to my recollection, I'll, I'll say, but I, I to me, it actually made a certain level of logic is that that was one of the most turbulent and important times in in American history, in world history, really. Yeah. Well, and so they were blocking out that period of, you know, you can't go interfere with this. This has to happen. Um, no, I wasn't knocking it. I was just wondering if they ever explained why. I, I, I just don't remember. I, but, I really, um, but yeah, but he decides, you know, if I do it right here at this point, and if I can have Japan and the United States fighting over here and England and Russia fighting Germany and Italy over here, I can use the chaos of those stalemates to build my power base and take over. Right. That's a great idea. Again, kind of ruined because it never happened. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... I mean, this is a great way to introduce the story. I like these three issues. I love this as the origin of the team. Every time I read the, you know, any of these story arcs, even the ones I really don't like all that much, it just makes me appreciate this era, these characters, and Roy Thomas and the artists working with him. Like in this case, Rich Buckler and Jerry Ordway. It's just that is just the little thing that just nags at me. It's it's, it's like if you got like a, a piece of food stuck in the back of your mouth that you can't quite get at. That's kind of the feeling I get here. But that is not to say I don't like the story. I really like the supervillain fact file. Those are great images of these characters. Well, except Professor Zodiac. But have you ever heard of the saying you can't polish a turd? Oh, yes. Okay, there you go. But Solomon Grundy looks awesome. Wotan looks really cool. And so does Sky Pirate. Jerry Ordway does swashbuckler boots better than anybody in comics. And I know Buckler did the pencils, but I could you can kind of tell that Ordway took over on the boots, if that makes any sense. I would throw uh, Mike Zeck's name in there just because he drew Cap for so long, and Cap oh, yeah. has the swashbuckler boots. But other, but I totally agree with you. <sighs> he does. He, he makes he makes a lame ass looking character like Sky Pirate actually look pretty cool. 
Mike Zek, part of one of the mysteries of comics. How can a man that drew so well on the Punisher and Captain America look like complete shit during Secret Wars? Professor Zodiac actually looks like Toad with Doctor Strange's <laughs> cape on. That's great. So what do you got for this one, sir? Uh, strangely, like you said, uh, not a lot of notes either, but uh, here's what I got. On page 7, all right, I've been making a point, actually, to look up some of the references that I don't get or, or you know, the names or whatever that are referenced that I don't get. This one here, okay, on page uh, 7, Zodiac and uh, Wotan are in the plane, right? They're in Zodiac's funky-looking plane. They're, they're leaving the ocean. And uh, Wotan says something to him, and Zodiac says, Don't tell Zobar Zodiac what to do, you refuge- refugee from the Elder Edda. And I was like, what? So I looked that up, and it to has Google. something... What? <laughs> to Google. Yeah, exactly. And it has something to do with, like, these ancient Norse writings poetry or something and i'm going dude that's a mighty obscure reference i mean who got this you know well i'm sorry professor zodiac looks like the type of guy that didn't do a lot of dating in high school this is true this is very true but you know you you gotta you gotta kind of throw your audience a bone every now and again i appreciate (laughs) what, what you know, I, I expect in a, in a series that's set in World War II that you're going to get a lot of references of the people and places and, and pop culture of that era. But this Elder Etta thing, it just, yeah, that one's a little bit of a stretch. My favorite moment of this issue, and very possibly my favorite moment of this entire arc so far, the the entire four issues that we have discussed is when Robot Man jumps over that, uh, you know, that he finds himself in, what was this, like a park or something. Mm-hmm. Damn, I can't find the freaking page where it happens. But they're, they're in a park. Page 15. 15, thank you. Struggling to, I'm flipping back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, he's uh, he finds uh, this old... Uh, What's he say? Talk about old Spanish. Okay. Anyway, there's a cannon in a park and all these cannonballs sitting there. And, you know, he just picks up the cannonballs and starts, like, shot putting them through <laughs> the, the zeros that are flying out. It's just awesome. The visual that is cool. That is, is very so cool. cool. I like I that. I really a like lot. that. He even references the fact of. Um, you know, back when he was a human being, he says he never would have given Bob Feller, you know, anything to worry about. Well, I looked up Bob Feller, and he was a uh, a major league baseball pitcher back around this time. But I just, I love this visual. I'm very certain that Steve Rogers will send us Bob Feller's entire biography. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but on the flip side, as awesome as this is, okay, the volcanic island. Not only is it artificial, it turns out, but it's mobile, too. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's really dumb. Yeah, dumb. You, you know, I, th- I think you and I have a really, like, wide berth when it comes to willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. You know, I'll buy just about anything, but damn. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the underwater aircraft carrier was already a bit of a stretch. But I I think I was very forgiving of that because I actually liked the underwater planes that we saw in yeah. Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Well, so it made this a little more palatable this time around. But, yeah, I draw my line at these mobile islands, you know. That that part of it was really silly. And I'm really glad that uh, that the synopsis that I used, which was the one that you wrote up on the Peristere, that you entirely skipped over that fact that the island was mobile. It, it makes not. I don't even know why they brought it up in the story, because ultimately it doesn't play into anything. So why even mention it, you know? Okay, okay I'm going to interrupt your notes for one second because I noticed something. We were talking before about how awesome the shot of the JSA revived looks on page 21 on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I just noticed that <laughs> Danette Riley's knees are, like, all scuffed up. Oh, you didn't notice that before? No! And I don't know if it's because it's 1 o'clock in the morning and I've been up for hours or if I just have a dirty mind, but damn. <laughs> you know Wonder Woman took her aside and asked her, Sister, what is up with your knees anyway? <laughs> <laughs> well, not all of us can be sculpted from clay, you stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite line of the entire issue, when Sir Justin walks in and says, "'Tis the hero of heroes," called Superman. I love that. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I always like it. It's kind of like Thor looking at Captain America and going, "What up, bro?" I mean, just well, you know, paraphrasing, of course. That you know, he that that a Norse god would look at a man, a mere mortal, and say. You are the hero of heroes. Right. It's the same here with Sir Justin, who is part of the Knights of the Round Table. Yeah. His boss is King Arthur. Right. And he looks at Superman and goes, you're the man. Yep. I love that. I always love when the other heroes give Superman his due and look up to him. I, well, that just works for me totally. Especially now that we're in an era where Superman is not the preeminent superhero of the DC Universe. And boy, does that piss me off. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Hal Jordan, are you serious? Anyways, my favorite line is from the very last page, page 27. Hawkman goes, that's why President Roosevelt wants us all to form this new All-Star Squadron. And Adam goes, pretty snazzy name, huh, Superman? And Superman says, smiling, as long as you're careful how you abbreviate it. <laughs> Which means at some point, in the span of time between Hawkman saying All-Star Squadron and Adam asking him the question, he thought, that forms ass. <laughs> Superman's pretty quick on the uptake. I was about to say. Now, I know this is extremely nitpicky, but how exactly did Hawkman and the others get aboard this sub with the self-sealing sides? Because Plas makes a, uh, I think it's Plastic Man, makes a, a comment about that. As soon as he drills into the side of the thing, you know, Thomas had to quickly explain away why they don't all drown. 
and he says something to the effect of the the ship seals itself up. Where is it? It's at the bottom of page 13. He says, whew. He says, good thing this this tub's got a self-sealing hull. Because in the last few minutes, uh, I couldn't have held back a leaky faucet, he says. So, you know, I just kind of wondered about that later on. Yeah. Um, I'm going to interrupt you one more time because there's another thing I just noticed. Page 27, the Spectre brings up the image of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. Does it look like he's totally got the hots for her? Yeah, he's digging on her, isn't he? <laughs> Even though she probably would have dug more on Danette or Wonder Woman, but that's entirely beside the point. Ooh, I did not know that about uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. You didn't? No, I did not. There, there is, uh, there is. I don't know if you want to call it evidence, but I, I've, I've, I've read a lot of accounts of the night that uh, Roosevelt died. Uh, in the last years of their lives together, they slept in separate quarters, and Eleanor Roosevelt had her, I guess, for lack of a better term, her girlfriend with her that night. So, yeah, that, that's that's what I that's what I've understand. But then again, you know, I've seen the History Channel that was trying to say that Abe Lincoln shacked up with a guy. So well, he did, but uh, not in any sort of yeah. you know weird sexual. Th- yeah, yeah, I, but I, that's what they wanted to turn it into. So. Yeah, I know, but it was a different time. <laughs> But yeah. I th- but I'm pretty sure that's accurate, which you know again is something that today would be all over the freaking news. And if any members of the press knew it back then, they just kept it under their hats. Which frankly, you know, I, I was trying not to go on a, uh, get on a soapbox before, but frankly, I wish we would get back to that because yeah. I don't give a shit what Britney Spears is doing right now. Right. So stop putting her and her it's, it's... vagina on the computer. See, it's not even that to me. To me, it comes down to a sense of, you know, where's the line of decency? You know, where do you get to a point where you go, you know what? Our kids see this shit, you know? So, yeah, yeah I, I feel you, brother. I, mean, I feel exactly the same way when it comes to that, that there, 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 there has to be limits. And unfortunately, in the society we're in today, it doesn't seem like there are any limits anymore. And that's sad. It's, it's very sad. I think that's one of the things what... You know, another element that lends into my enjoyment of this series so much is you can call it naive or simple or whatever you want to, but it, I I, don't, I look at it as simply it was a better time. I like that these stories are just dripping with patriotism, and yeah. you know, let's go you know kick the Japs' ass you know and stuff. Like, I love that because it was just that was you know but, but, but it was the. Also- well, I'm sorry, but he also doesn't shy away from the more controversial elements of America's involvement in the war, right? Because eventually he does discuss like the Japanese internment camps, which right. is kind of a dark chapter in our history of World War II. But you're right; it's I don't have to feel weird about liking the patriotism of this title. See, I don't remember that story about the internment. That'll be interesting when we get there because I it's really hope. Stars. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really hope he doesn't become... I hope he doesn't get on his soapbox about how wrong it was. I hate that shit. But anyway, that's <laughs> way down the road. That, my brother-in-law says that's why George Takai smiles all the time, because if you spent some of your life in an internment camp, you'd be pretty happy to be on the outside, too. <laughs> oh, 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 that's messed up. 
I think you and my brother-in-law would get along, by the way. <laughs> He's a big Trek fan. Ah, okay. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. He's an asshole. You guys would be great together, yeah. Um, how exactly does Hawkman take off out of the water? I, I'm kind of imagining it's like one of those uh, those uh, National Geographic documentaries where he has to run with his webbed feet across the water till he builds up the momentum where he can take off. The Hawkman, with his nth metal belt, prepares to take off. <sighs> Let's watch I it guess. Happen. I'm tired of this damn nth metal, man. It explains everything. <laughs> it sucks. How did he pick up uh, uh, <laughs> Shira Hall in nth metal? It's the only explanation I got. Because he was a boring-ass archaeologist. Who apparently just, apparently when he became Hawkman, just got all of his frustrations out by beating the piss out of criminals. <laughs> that's kind of cool, though. Too. Oh, yeah, that's great. I'm not saying anything against it. I think that's the end of my notes, brother. Alrighty, ads. We have an expert builder series challenge number 8859 in Legos. And I think I've mentioned before that uh, my aunt would get me these things, and they were a lot of fun. I liked Legos. You know what I thought of looking at this ad is how remarkably little Lego packaging has changed in yeah. like, 30 years. <laughs> Because the Star Wars stuff that's coming out right now that my kids get looks pretty much like these pictures. Yeah, wouldn't you have killed for that shit when you were a kid? I actually got a lot of Legos when I was a kid and couldn't do shit with them. I had absolutely no building skills whatsoever. I see, like, these X-Wings and the Millennium Falcon and, like, the Batman stuff, and I'm like, damn, that would have been yeah. great. We have a Bubble Yum ad uh, with a kid in it that is guaranteed to get his ass kicked in high school. I'm telling you right now, he saved that outfit for his D&D sessions. <laughs> Not that I'm saying anything against D&D, but yeah. Um, we have a Lifesavers ad that's actually a little word game that I may scan, print it out, and, and, and do it, because I like doing those things. I've done that before. Thank you, scanners. <laughs> there really isn't any other ads. This is a 27-page story, so we do have... Oh, another uh, pyramid scheme. This one from the Youth Opportunity Sales Club. I've got something, actually. Okay. Um, I, I noticed as we were going through, you were doing your synopsis of number issue number two, that these ads are actually in that issue, too, but I noticed them for the first time in this issue, so I'm going to attribute them to it, this issue. On this uh, page, this ad page that's across from page 23, it's just one of those giant jam ad things yeah. like they used to do, you know, back during this time where it was just a, a ton of little teeny tiny ads all jammed together. So you had like comics for sale and kung fu and, you know, you can have muscles in seven days and all this. I noticed two really cool ones in here. One was for. Um, comic book bags through Empire Comics in Rochester, New York. And I was like, hey, I've been to that place. And uh, I just happened to be uh, talking to uh, Chris Honeywell today before we started the show. And uh, he assures me that Empire Comics does still exist. So I thought that was pretty cool. The other one, I absolutely love this one. I cannot believe that this one has escaped my notice until now. Free, free Bigfoot. Facts about Bigfoot. 
and how you might be able to spend one week in the wilderness living with one. Photo and cassette also available on request. <laughs> oh, God. Send a dollar oh, for shipping. This, oh, Jesus. This is the most ingenious fucking scam I've ever read in a comic book right here. Is this sponsored by Nambla? I love it, man. I oh love my God. this. Is this some, like, hairy guy wouldn't have, like, get kids to come to to molest in the forest? Uh, I want to know what the hell photo you get and what's on the cassette for your dollar. And I'm really intrigued if there is anybody out there in listener land that survived their week expedition <laughs> with Bigfoot. I would love to hear about it, okay? But my guess is probably along the lines of Mike's that, that this is why there are a lot of missing children uh, in the register books is from uh, weird shit like this. These yeah, kind of yeah, ads. Tell us. Answer. They'll tell us, but it'll send them back into fucking therapy. I mean, <laughs> oh, you know that that's a book in the self-help section. Some <laughs> I speak with Bigfoot. There's oh, a, there, there, there's two ads uh, on here. Embarrassed by blackheads. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. And don't destroy your comics, records, magazines, etc. Fact. Your valuable collections are dying slowly every day. Oh, look at the one. It's in the middle strip. It's the third one from the bottom. Does that not look like one of the Apple bonkers from Yellow Submarine? <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I've never oh, okay. seen the film. Oh, my. Oh, dude. You've got to see Yellow Submarine. It's freaking awesome. Anyway. What else do we got? That's about all I got as far as ads. Free Bigfoot. Free. Oh, God, I'm going to be having nightmares about that. <laughs> yeah, I where can't believe I never noticed that before. Where's Bigfoot right here in my pants? <laughs> Come spend a week with him. <laughs> we have a hostess ad, and I think I'll have to check SeanBaby.com later, and I'll get back to you if I'm wrong. But I think this is the only one starring Red Tornado. I think you're right. Who had a really cool superpowers figure, by the way. Yes. I was very happy when I got my red tornado figure. Uh, he could do the peppermint twist. Anyways. He is one of the coolest looking, but ultimately seriously lame superheroes that has ever existed. It's, well, a, it's a really strange uh, dichotomy there that, that he is really, really awesome looking, but just not that interesting. I don't know what's up with his striped pants at the top here, uh, but that's kind of weird. So um, I guess you read the last one, so I'll read this one. Uh, we have Red Tornado in Clean Sweep. A mysterious vacuum thief strikes nightly in Metropolis, devouring items of invaluable taste. No force to date has been able to stop its swift, clean, sweeping suction. <laughs> oh great we both couldn't make it through that one good okay i just have to point out that <laughs> suction is the last word of that part and then immediately the guy at the table says this it's a hard act to swallow ready <laughs> I 
hope you don't blow this case. He should say that, too. Yes, he should. Oh, my God. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to read this, and it's going to be good. Okay. Your whirlwind powers are the only match for this hungry villain. My computer brain informs we me must bait the vacuum vulture with something dark and delicious. Later that evening, an incredible reading. Something of incomparable taste is near at hand. Hostess cupcakes. Fudgy icing. Deep, dark, delicious chocolatey cake. Invaluable taste. And Red Tornado thinks, I believe it is now time to stir up trouble in the vacuum control circuit. Ready, you're quite a hero. You're mistaken, Commissioner. The Hostess Cupcakes are the real hero. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess <laughs> Cupcakes. <laughs> okay. Is it just me, or does Red Tornado look like he's being played by a toddler in this ad? Every picture, the perspective is really weird. He looks like he's got a baby face, doesn't he? Like a baby head. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. We we both had like a five-year-old's reaction to this. I have my wife in the room right now. So I'm going to reread. I'm going to reread this portion just to see what she thinks of it. Okay. This is how this hostess ad begins, honey. A mysterious vacuum thief strikes nightly in Metropolis, devouring items of invaluable taste. No force to date has been able to stop its swift, clean, sweeping suction, followed immediately by, It's a hard act to swallow, Freddy. Okay, she's got this horrific taste, and she wants me to get the... <laughs> Say that again. Thank you, baby, for, for participating in the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you're right, though. He does look like, like baby Red Tornado. Kind of like baby Plaz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I don't even know. <sighs> I'm glad we got a stupid one again. Let me, let me just put it to you that way, because we've had way too many that make sense lately. And uh, this is pretty fucking stupid. The the villain actually looks like a member of Big Jim's pack, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. Calling back to the first episode of this of the of this podcast. Very <laughs> good, Scott. Um, I just uh, there's nothing good about this. <laughs> there, I mean, there's just, there's just absolutely none of this makes sense. And I guess because we've had so many that sort of make sense, where we had to kind of like really struggle to find something—not funny to say about it, because we can make fun of all of them. But one, why is Red Tornado like using cupcakes? I don't know. I'm scared, Scott. Hold me. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man. So we got anything else on this one? Are you creeped out? No, no. I'm. I'm. Uh, my brain hurts now. I'm done with that ad. Yeah. Once you. Once you. I'm sorry. This. <laughs> once you. Fan, not fantasize. That's the worst thing to say. <laughs> no, I have never fantasized about this ad. <laughs> once you once you realize that there's oral sex involved, you really can't say anything else, can you? Oh dear lord! 
I think we need to move along swiftly. Okay, very good. What else we got this episode? Elsewhere in the DC multiverse, because we forgot to do it last time. <laughs> yes, via the time machine at Mike's amazing uh, world of DC Comics. Hi, Mike. I know you listen. Do we want to start? Does he? he listens? Yes, yes oh, he does. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do you want to Your start? website rules, dude. I love this. I'm addicted to it. Do we want to start with the August 1981 cover-dated comics? Oh, did we not cover those? We didn't cover August or September last week. All right. Let's do that. All righty. Let's see what we got. We've got a really cool cover on the best of DC number 15 there. Yeah, I was just looking at that one, actually. Yeah, the Superboy one. Yeah, I like that. I think I have that one. I'm not sure. I know I've seen it before. I kind of, believe it or not, I actually kind of dig the cover on uh, DC Comics Presents 36 with uh, Superman and the uh, the blue spacefaring star man. That one's actually kind of cool. Prince I think that's, Gavin. Yeah. I think that's uh, Jim Starlin, if I remember properly. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is. What else we got here? I like that cover on the, the Jonah Hex issue, too. Yeah. That- Just... Hmm? I was about to agree. I really like that cover, too. I have um, my good friend Tor slid me a bunch of Jonah Hex comics, so <laughs> I will be right, reading those soon because somebody has a new podcast. Oh, yes. Tell them about it. Come on. It's a good time. We just mentioned Jonah Hex. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, believe it or not, I don't know where I'm finding the time, but I did fire up a new podcast called Death. And the acrid smell of gun smoke, the Jonah Hex podcast. And uh, please check it out. Awesome, dude. Oh, thank you. Thank you really very much. I liked it. Well, I, think the, uh, I think the second one is even better. So uh, check it out. I hope you, uh, I hope you guys dig on it. We got uh, Flash 300. Where is that? Oh, yeah, up at the top there. Really Look. weak cover, but it's. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I don't know that I've ever seen that cover before. I like me some Infantino. I really, really do, but I never cared for his Flash work. I don't know why. I like his 50s and 60s Flash work. It seems like when he got into the 70s and 80s, he was drawing with a ruler, so that was my main problem. (laughs) Um, We have a Superman cover, Superman number 362, where he's looking at prototypical internet porn, apparently. Oh, awesome. Um, That's kind of creepy that brave and the bold number 177 with batman and the elongated man that is one of the first issues of brave and the bold i ever read oh cool it's a really good story too i like where uh batman is fighting werewolf by night on the cover of the tech <laughs> comics 505 that's pretty cool and what's his secret identity jack russell isn't oh, it god yes every time i hear it i want to vomit <laughs> Now, this uh, cover on uh, Green Lantern, one, number 143, I always thought his neck, even though this is a Jim, uh, excuse me, a uh, George Perez cover, and it is a really nice cover, his neck is way out of proportion. Yes, he looks like is. he has an elongated neck on that one. Oh, man. I'm not really seeing anything else this month, though. What about you? Not really. I know I used to have this issue of uh, the new Adventures of Superboy. I don't know if I still do or not, but I, I always thought I the do. aliens were very disturbing looking on the cover of that. I have the entire run of that book, as a matter of fact. Oh, hey, this is, is this the one with Reflecto? It is! Legion of Superheroes number 278 with Reflecto. Do you know who Reflecto's secret identity turned out to be? Who? 
I'm not going to tell you. No, he he was uh, he was actually Superboy. Yeah. Okay. That was a letdown. It was a letdown at the time too, because <laughs> it was like, damn, didn't they just get rid of you? Like you know, like uh, a few issues back, because there was that big deal made about you know. Superboy is going back to his time never to return. You know, yeah, he returned just a few issues later as Reflecto. Going uh, forward to September, let's see what we have here. Now, this is uh, Arak, Son of Thunder, number one. I believe I've only ever read or owned one issue of this, and the only reason I have that one issue is when my mother went into to Watertown once when I was a kid, just beginning to collect comics, I asked her to specifically look for this one DC for me, and she came home with an issue of Arak, Son of Thunder, <laughs> which I could give a flying fuck about. But seeing as how it's the only comic book I can ever remember my mother buying for me, I kept it all these yeah. years. I've never, I've never parted with it, just for that reason. I have, like, the first, like... 25 issues of that series. I need to... Oh, you've actually read some of it? No, well, I was about to say, I need to sit down and actually read it because I bought it when I was buying like hundreds of comics at a time. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like, I'd check it out now just out of simple curiosity. You know, you, yeah. never, you never know. I mean, I started reading, uh, you know, when I was collecting uh, all the Jonah Hex appearances, I kept going with Weird Western Tales after Jonah left and uh, Scalp Hunter took over. And that turned out to be really cool. And I didn't have any knowledge or interest in that character. I just thought, well, what the hell? I've got all the other issues of Weird Western. I might as well get this, too. So I went ahead and got it and turned out I really enjoyed it. So you never know. Just because something's out of your wheelhouse doesn't mean that you won't end up really digging on it. Uh, the cover to New Teen Titans number 11 proves that either Marv Wolfman or George Perez watched old-school Star Trek, uh, the original this, series. Yes, and this is the issue where uh, where uh, the god that... I forget which god this is. Apollo, that, I think. Is it Apollo? Oh, okay. Yeah, he uh, he makes Donna Troy all horny in that one. It's, uh, it's actually pretty cool. He uses some sort of like mind spell whammy thing on her, and there's this part That's where she's like... Story. Yeah, it is good. I I'm, I need to read that again because it's been a long time, but I remember really digging that one. Unfortunately, that was also one of the uh, first stories that was nullified post-crisis, which was kind of a shame. Uh, we have Best of DC number 16, which is a cool cover of a bunch of heroes standing around a cake. Rich Buckler. Mm-hmm. We've got Krypton Chronicles number 1 that told kind of in, I think it was in reverse order, the history of the L family. Yeah, that's it's a good mini series. I liked it when I read it uh, years ago. Jonah uh, X number uh, fifty-two there, which uh, is uh, sign- this story signifies the beginning of the end of uh, Hex's marriage, because uh, it, the cover that's shown here is uh, while Hex is uh, he's like training somebody to how to shoot his uh, infant toddler baby boy is uh, about to pet the pretty scorpion which uh, <laughs> that's not going to end well yeah it, it does not end well and, uh, and Hex's wife is uh, she's pretty pissed uh, Superman number 363 which is a great story and Lex Luthor looks like he's going <laughs> I love that cover I wonder if I have this issue because that is a great cover Let's see, that Legion of Superheroes cover is kind of cool. Yeah. 
I like that one. I think that's actually the one that reveals who Reflecto is at the end of it because he gets all blasted up. This uh, Action Comics 523, when I started collecting Superman on a, on a regular or, or as regular as I could manage it as a kid basis, this was one of the very first issues I got. And this is the one... I always reference because this story starts out. If you open it up, the splash page is the D, the uh, Daily Planet staff is out in the field in a baseball game, and Clark Kent's uniform is standing there with nobody in it, and Superman has gone off to like rescue like a I don't know like a crashing plane or something, and he's done it so fast. That he actually goes, makes the rescue, and comes back and jumps into his clothes before the clothes can hit the ground. Sweet. And I loved that as a kid, and now I look at it and go, give me a freaking break. <laughs> but I thought that was cool when I was a kid. Right at the bottom of the page, World's Finest Comics, number 271. Yeah. And I wanted to make a note, because I feel like a dumbass. Uh, the edition I had when, when we did that uh, Back to the Bins episode a couple weeks ago uh, was coverless, so I, I went on eBay and I paid about six bucks, but I have a copy, and it's a very, very nice copy, by the way. Very crisp and clean. The, the cover's very bright and vibrant. I flip it over, there's a Daily Planet page, <laughs> and the fucking All-Star Squadron number one is on it, and I'm like, and we didn't mention this. Like... <laughs> You know, the week before we're going to go into All-Star Squadron, we don't go something like, and listen to Tales of the JSA this week to hear something about a cover involved on this page and then, like, make some kind of, no, 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 we can't do that, can we? We did end up plugging the show because we even mentioned at the beginning that we were we were covering that issue on that show because we were going to cover it on this show and then we realized it didn't really have nothing at all to do with JSA. But I know, yeah, but that's still. my bad because your your copy didn't have covers and I apparently never flipped mine over. So. <laughs> <laughs> you flipped it off though. This Brave and the Bold number one seventy eight is features one of the goddamn silliest villains that you'll ever find in comic books. A a literally he was just a dude made out of paper. It was really really <laughs> silly, and I believe that issue uh, has been talked about on Back to the Bins before. Somebody or other reviewed that one. I'm pretty sure. Well, it's an issue of Brave and the Bold. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flipping ahead again. I think this is the first time I've ever laid eyes on DC, uh, excuse me, best of DC number 17. I love this cover. Yeah, Yeah, by Perez. We'll agree to disagree about the costume, but it's a nice cover. Damn it. I'm telling you, dude, you're wrong. That is a cool cover and damn sexy. It's a good cover. I never said it wasn't. I don't like that costume. Sorry. Man, Perez was busy as a beaver, man. He also did this DC Comics Presents cover, too, that I don't think I've ever seen that before, either. Oh, that's got one of those whatever happened to uh, stories with the Crimson Avenger. I was wondering yeah. if we wanted to cover those. Yeah, we probably should at some point. We could probably cover all those in, like, one episode, though. Yeah. They're not very memorable. Some see, of them damn, are downright I, stupid. See, I thought they were further down the road, too. That sucks, because now they're right, yeah, they're right here. We're building up quite the backlog of stuff that we've got to get to eventually. 
I've never seen this one either. DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 14, UFO Invaders. I've never seen that. That's pretty cool. Uh, Justice League of America number 195, covered in a previous episode of this series. Yep. With a great cover. That's a good Jonah Hex cover, too. That yeah. is one of the single best issues of Jonah Hex ever. Great story, and I'm not going to tell you nothing about it because it would ruin the whole damn thing. But it is a great, great Jonah Hex issue. Wonder Woman. Damn, another. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that's the one I was just going <laughs> to. Wonder Woman number 284. Uh, you've, you, you've got, you know, like a, like a Wonder Woman shot on the bottom, but then you have the Huntress and Robin in it. <clears throat> I don't know if this is this issue or the next, but there is a really uncomfortable moment between the two of them in this little storyline. <laughs> like, really uncomfortable. Like, oh my god, I want to leave the room and go take a shower. Now, you've got uh, another George Perez cover on this one, this Wonder Woman. you got Wonder Woman fighting a red Fin Fang Foom, so would that make him Rin Rang Room? God, I'm not touching that with a broad. <laughs> you got another George Perez cover on Legion of Superheroes number 280, where uh, Superboy is officially back, whether you want him or not. You don't like Superboy in the Legion? I know I love Superboy. It's just the you know they they made that huge deal when they split the books. Remember? Yeah, they, I remember because that's when yeah. they started New Adventures of Superboy. And what issue is that? I want to say it was 256, I think. 259. You're right. You're absolutely right. 259. And here it is, issue 280. He's right back again. He's like a bad penny. Just We couldn't survive without you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I'd I'd like to see Batman and the Legion of Superheroes teaming up, though. I wonder if I have that issue of Brave and the Bold, number 179. All right, dude. We need to shit or get off the pot. DC special series. Oh yeah. Seven. We have got to do this on back to the bins. This is Batman versus the incredible Hulk. And it is freaking awesome. We've got to do that. Well, just get it, get get it coordinated with Chris and we'll do it. I got the book. I mean, I got a reprint, but I got the book. And I apologize. You were talking about uh, brave and the bold wonder number one seventy nine. I hate to disappoint you, but that issue kind of sucks. <laughs> okay. I can't remember specifically why at the moment, but I, I remember being horribly disappointed in that story as a kid. Because you're right. Batman and the Legion of Superheroes should be a damn good story. Unfortunately, it just isn't. All right. Are we ready to do the final month? Sure. Uh, looking at it, not a really good month. Um <laughs> I can't believe the number of covers that I keep looking at and going, damn, I, have you, I don't think I've ever seen that. You watch. I probably have like three copies of every one of them in my collection. <laughs> I keep seeing these covers going, gee, I don't recognize that. Flash number 303, a story that now is retconned out of history. Aren't they all? Well, no. This one specifically because... No, I mean, I meant like everyone we're looking at. I was being an ass. <laughs> uh, it, that was actually a pretty cool story uh, through the first, like, issues 301 through 303 or 304, where the ghost of the top took over Barry's father, his took over his body, and was just causing all kinds of trouble between... Uh, his, you know, his father and his mother, and coming to live with Barry and all this other stuff, and hooking up. So you had like, like fat old Mister Allen, like hooking up with the Golden Glider, which is kind of good for Mister Allen, I guess. I hope his heart can take it. 
But now, Barry Allen's history, which fucking pisses me off, is that he became interested in forensic science because his father supposedly killed his mother and he was sent to prison and died there. Hmm. That shit pisses me off. I'm just going <laughs> to move on because I will fucking start swearing. Now, before you move on, though, looking at that cover, I must say that that is the most accurate depiction of a male cosplayer I think I've ever seen. <laughs> that kind of would be me at this point, unfortunately. That's why I'm working on it. Got the last issue of Krypton Chronicles where uh, Superman and Supergirl are watching old-fashioned Krypton porn. Um <laughs> New Teen Titans number 13 That was when the uh, Doom Patrol Got into the series and they fought up The Brotherhood of Evil Yeah, oh, It was a good story That was some good stuff That's that's when New Teen Titans was really starting to kick some ass Because uh, God knows Trigon's the most boring villain ever uh, I like that cover On Superman 365 I don't know why but I've always really liked That cover I think that's Ross Andrew If I remember properly Oh yeah, yeah it is Ross Andrew that is, and that and that issue contains a letter from Todd McFarlane. Oh no, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, this other one, Action Comics number five twenty five, mm. with uh, what's what was the dude's name? Neutron, I think. Yeah, Neutron, the Living, living bomb. bomb. Yeah, great. That was, uh, if I'm remembering right, this is when. Yeah, this was when Wolfman and oh, Joe Staten did the interior art. Yeah. It's a good yeah. era for action. Oh, oh. Wolfman Wolfman did a lot of really, especially when he like introduced Lord Satanus, or was that over in Superman? I can't remember, but I like you know, that era. Yeah, I did too. And you know, this is probably why I'm predisposed to like Joe Staten now that I think about it, because one of my favorite favorite Superman stories from this era is that two part story with the Omega Men. Yes. Where Superman got split in two, and then he got critically injured, and some criminals come and take the critically injured Superman away, and at the end of it, like Lois is all sobbing and everything as they take him away. That's all by Staten, and it's gorgeous art. I I really like that, and I would have discovered that I I'm pretty sure before I discovered his earlier work on the stuff that we've been talking about, you know, like from back in Adventures and stuff. Could be wrong about that, but I think so. Brave and the Bold number 180 has Batman and the Spectre, apparently. Now, I'm, I know we've discussed Batman, Brave and the Bold, the animated series in the past. But i got to hand it to the people who produced that series. Because they had an episode that was actually pretty freaking stupid. I think it was the one with Buona Beast and Vixen, which made me want to, like, eat a bullet. But uh, the teaser, the, like, the little hero team-up teaser, was Batman and the Spectre going after this villain. And the Spectre moves in to do what the Spectre does. I think it was Ratcatcher. And Batman's like, you need to stop. We're heroes. We don't do stuff like this. So, you know, stop. And the Spectre goes, okay. And Batman leaves the guy tied up for the police. And Batman's gone. And the Spectre shows back up and turns him into a block of cheddar for all <laughs> the rats to come to eat. And I went, Yes! <laughs> Because god damn it, that's the fucking Spectre. <laughs> that was a good uh, Batman uh, voice, by the way. You actually sounded pretty much like the dude. Kind of like Diedrich Bader? Yeah. That was very good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I just, I'm not... I, 
I I'm sorry. A, I just have a hard time thinking that that's the same that goes, Peter, you need to come over here. The chick on that Channel 2 has got her top off again. <laughs> From Office Space. Yeah. So. I remember this issue of New Adventures of Stu- Superman. Oh, God, yes. Really it's, stupid. You know what the funny thing about this issue is? Is that I got every other issue of New Adventures of Superboy for like 50 cents a piece, and I had to pay $10 for this one because I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, my God. I kind of wish I'd held on to my collection. I I'd had just about a complete collection of that, and I don't remember what I what I got out of it, but I, I sold it off at one point, and I kind of wish I'd kept them. I don't even know why I wish I'd kept them. I just wish I had, but... Well, I bought them at a time when I was getting, like, I was trying to develop a good pre-crisis Superman collection, and I'm still kind of in the process of that, but I've got... I, that's when I bought, like, the Krypton Chronicles and the Phantom Zone miniseries and uh, the Superboy series, and I got a lot of Le- Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes from around this time as well. So, uh, yeah, that's how I ended up. But 23, for whatever reason, I couldn't find it anywhere. Only place was on eBay. And I waited, like, months. And it was just this one guy who had it. And it was, like, a $5 comic with a $5 uh, shipping charge. And I'm like, you know, I really want to read this issue. And I bought it. So, yeah. Kind of sad. Yeah, Superboy was just was one of those earliest things I latched onto in comics when I was a little, you know, like like pre-collecting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just just reading comics as For a very young child. Comics. Yeah. I, I read a lot of the original Superboy stuff, um, like before it became Superboy and the Legion and all that, and, and loved those comics. So when they brought him back, you know, solo with the new adventures, I was, I, I was well into my teens by that point. And it just wasn't the same. I don't think the stories were as good. It the art was better. the art was pretty good, but I just I, I, the magic was gone for me. It, I was just too old to appreciate it. The stories got a lot better once you hit like issue twenty five. Uh, Bates started like developing actual conflict and drama within the Superboy series because. The great thing about Superboy in this era was a lot of the stories were well. Let's learn how Superboy, uh, Superman used to learn uh, learn to use this power, right? Or or let's see how Jonathan and Martha taught him this lesson, which he, he still uses today. And after that, it became more about Clark Kent's life at Smallville High. Uh, Jonathan eventually ran for public office, which Smallville ripped off. Um, you know, a lot of stuff like that where it was kind of interesting and really kind of cool. And then the series was canceled. But it introduced <laughs> to that Asian hero that whose name I could never remember that I never gave a shit about. He died in the crisis. Hmm. Sunspot? No, we went through this before, and I yeah, still can't remember the guy's <laughs> name. I looked it up, and now I still can't. I can't remember it again. But, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I was just noticing this awesome... Uh, Warlord cover here, Warlord number yeah. 51. It makes me sad because uh, it's probably about a month ago now. I was out doing my semi-regular hunt at the uh, at the flea market for, for comics and, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars books and stuff like that. And there was a dude there that had, I don't know how many issues of Warlord. And I think he was asking like 50 cents a piece for him. 
but he was one of the first booths I chanced across. And Warlord is not really on my radar, so I, I didn't get him, and I ended up leaving, and then I regretted it later. So I went back the next weekend, all prepared to buy him. Dude wasn't there. I was like, God damn it. So then I went back the next week, and the dude was there, but he had already sold him. He said he sold him about an hour after I had been there the, the first time and seen him. So I kind of regret that I didn't pick him up because I've actually got a really decent collection, a pretty, pretty good number of the issues. I just, you know, just through osmosis, you know what I mean, of buying collections and stuff, but I've never read any of them. I even have number one, and I've never read any of them, but if I ever managed to build the whole thing or the majority of the collection, I, I probably would sit down and read it all just because, you know, it does look good anyway. The, I love the uh, Mike Grell art. I'll have to ask my brother-in-law, Tim, uh, because he was really big into comics when he was younger and a teenager. In fact, uh, I've told you before, he is actually the one that gave me my Invader books mm -hmm. and all that. And he had a pretty large collection. But when he sold off all his comics, he... I think the only ones he kept were his Conans and his Warlords. Because he had, I think he had an entire collection of Conan. Hmm. And I knew he had an entire collection of Warlord. And he, had, he has like a freaking bookshelf full of Conan novels too, so he's Dis uh, really into the sword and sorcery apparently. See, I was just going to say, despite my disdain for sword and sorcery stuff, I do at the same rate have sort of a soft spot for all those like hidden world stories, you know, Skatarsis and uh, and the one that uh, Burroughs had. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but you know, stuff like that. I, I do kind of like that, you know, the Hollow Earth and things like that. I enjoy those kind of you know fanciful stories. So I, I probably would actually dig on Warlord. The last thing I wanted to, to comment on, I just wanted to ask you. Uh, if you ever read any creature commandos, because I never have, but I've always been kind of intrigued by the concept. I read that bullshit creature commandos that came out like 2000 that I didn't really care for. Uh, I've never read the original ones. Uh, Chuck Sheffy. Hi, Chuck. Uh, loves the creature commandos, if I'm remembering correctly, but he's got a big thing for war comics. So, Well, I've got a big thing for... The classic monsters, you know what I what I still consider the universal monsters, you know mm -hmm. Frankenstein, Dracula, yeah. and all those, and you get all those guys together in one jam like that. I love that shit. So I, I'm wondering if I would actually enjoy this. I, I'm wondering who does the interiors because, unfortunately, it doesn't say here. It just says who the editor is, and then of course, uh, uh, my uh, Jim Aparo did the awesome cover on this. But I'm just wondering because. That that was my biggest thing with war comics. I mean, just you know, not only am I not interested in the genre, but nine times out of ten, I didn't like the interior art on war which, comics. Which either. cover are you talking about? Oh, the uh, weird the, western the, tale. Or, excuse me, war tales. war tales rather number one hundred and five. And I'm just wondering who might have done the uh, the Fred interior. Fred Carrillo. Hmm, that name doesn't doesn't ring a bell. Um. Again. We keep talking here about other shows we need to do. We really need to get together and do that Monster Squad episode on Two True Freaks. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be down I'd for love that, that movie. <laughs> I do, too. I watched it again not, not too uh, maybe. Did you show it to your kids, or... and did they love it? 
I did show I was a little bit nervous about them because the language in that is a lot racier than I remember it to Wolfman's be. Wolfman's got nards. Well, it wasn't just that. I remember that line. But oh, yeah, I mean, they keep calling they, each they, other homo. And- yeah, they. well, not even that. That doesn't bother me because, you know. That, see, I, I don't that's have a hang-up with that because when I. That's talked back then. What, it is exactly. Yeah, I was trying to think of a diplomatic way to say that because, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, just just as few years ago as like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they were talking like that. So, I just it's 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 the way things were, you know, whether you agree with it or whether you you know you're ashamed of it or where it's just the way it was. But no, it wasn't that. It was, uh, I mean, they, they cuss quite a bit in that movie, and they say a lot of shit in that movie that really kind of surprised me because I didn't remember it, you know? Yeah, but you see, I was Scotty's age when I first saw it. Yeah. And I think that had a lot to do with me loving the film as much as I did. It's because it was a bunch of kids around my age. It's the same thing with Wesley Crusher, uh, but that's a conversation for another show. Um to this day, the kid that rips up the copy of Wonder Woman in that, I fucking hate that actor. And I hate him only because he does that in that movie. It, it's, an, it's a totally irrational thing, but I just... I can't, oh, he God, was, he just, was the yeah. voice of, uh, of Dove in the Justice League in, uh, Unlimited ep- episode. No way. Yeah, it was Fred Savage and him because they were brothers on the Wonder Years and they flipped him around. So Fred Savage was the asshole. And the other guy was uh, was the Peacenik. That's funny. And their sister from that show, Olivia Diabo, mm-hmm. was Morgan Le Fay and Star Sapphire. <laughs> That's so, wild. But yeah, oh oh yeah, and that, I'm I'm so glad you said issue of Wonder Woman because I thought I was the only one that noticed that it was an issue of the pair of Wonder three, Woman. Isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh God, yes, yes. I'm not the only one that notices that. But, yeah, I completely want to kick that kid's ass, like, when I see that. No, I always notice stuff like that. You know, like, I I, I go out of my way to try to figure out. If I, if I see a kid or anybody, for that matter, reading a comic on TV or in a movie, I go out of my way to try to figure out what the hell comic it is that well, they're it, reading. There was a show on CBS a couple of years ago with, called Becker with Ted Danson and yeah. Max. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Julio Mendez. And Julio, yeah, yeah, Julio from The Flash, yeah. Well, he was a blind news dealer, and I'm sitting there watching it with Rachel one day, and I go, there are Reign of the Superman comics on his comic rack. And she gives me that look. That look of, I love you, but you're a dork. Yeah. Well, I, was <laughs> yeah, I noticed that shit, too. The last time we watched uh, Poltergeist, actually, I think it was the first time my kids had ever seen it. And it was, it had been probably, I don't know how many years since my wife and I had seen it. And we're watching it, and I'm driving everybody nuts because I'm fast forwarding and rewinding, fast forwarding and rewinding in the part where the little boy is reading the comic, trying to figure out what the hell it, comic is that. And it turned out it was an issue of Cap. And I think it's the one where he fights uh, Doc Ock. It's a Mike Zek issue, I th- I'm pretty sure. I don't know which issue it is, but uh, in Supergirl, Lucy Lane is reading a Hulk comic. No way. In the dorm room, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I uh, guess that's, that's it for this week almost, isn't it? Yeah. Unless you have anything else. <laughs> now that we we've just, tangented like to death at the end here. Yeah, we have given the, the listeners a taste of what it's like when we just get together and shoot <laughs> the shit. Oh, this no is shit. What it is. 
So yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Again, unfortunately, these issues, are... these issues have not been reprinted every anywhere, which is sad. But uh, they are out there to be had on the uh, fairly cheap. So just hunt them down, and we will be back with you next week. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbaileytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to build.